This is the Patriots Catch-22 Podcast with Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. I'm Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Hello, everybody. Nailed it. Joined, as always, by our Barth. That's a bit. That's a match. No risk it, no risk it. 22. Here is Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. They faced a really good Chiefs defense. Two more points is Kyle Shanahan. You're not even Only coming at the argument correctly. I am. No, you're not. I you're, am. You're, you're making shit up. You're talking about shit that doesn't matter. No, be- <laughs> uh, did we get fined for that, Morel? Are we in trouble? <laughs> I didn't make anything. You, you know when I get fired up when I start swearing uh, on the air. I, I think I, I swear the most out of anybody. I think I have the, the biggest potty mouth uh, on Patriots.com radio. But it's the, it's always just S-H-I-T, Morel. It's not, I, I, it never... No, it, it never no you've, tro- you've dropped the F word a couple times. No, I have Yeah, you not. have. I remember you did. No, I, re- I no, remember No, you no, did. no. It I never escalates beyond beyond that and that in my vocabulary that's that's like not a swear you know it's in that like middle ground of swear not swear all right uh anyways uh evan lazar alex barth the patriots catch 22 busy busy week busy couple weeks uh, for the off season coming up uh yesterday uh we got a chance to speak with the patriots new coordinators we also got a chance to speak with the entire coaching staff in a uh, off the record um little little get together what do you call it a little gathering Afterwards. Yeah, meet and greet. Meet and greet. That's what I'm looking for. Meet and greet uh, afterwards. So we can't really get into too many details about what we talked about um, with the coaches, but it was great to get some face time with them and obviously hear from the coordinators in a more formal setting as well. And uh, on the one hand, Alex, I, I I have to be fair. Last week I came in here hot about how I felt like there was really no direction from a football perspective, not, not from a culture building, a, you know, CEO perspective but a football perspective so I I have to be fair yesterday I got it I got a little bit more of what what we're going for here in terms of uh, building the team but with that said I I also you can't win me over just because you 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 know gave me some uh, some appetizers and got let me talk to Alex Van Pelt against about uh you know pass protection right like that doesn't you got to win football games and you got to put together a football team I'm not that easy Okay, I'm not that easy. Uh, Don't be don't just be don't just be nice to the media. I'm not that easy. Uh, With that being said, uh, I I do want to discuss what was said yesterday and uh, talk about some of the things that I I thought stood out to me about what was said at the at the press conferences um, with the coaches. And we are starting to talk about football. Thank God. Thank God. We're starting to actually talk about some real football here. Uh, but just in general, what were your impressions uh, of the day yesterday? And it, it certainly feels different. I know nobody like really cares uh, about them being nicer to the media. Like I know that a lot that that you shouldn't care, uh, frankly. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was uh, honestly it was it was a lot of fun uh, to get to pick those guys brains and to talk football with the coaching staff and uh, we saw Dante Hightower which was really cool to see him back in the building so what were your general impressions of yesterday yeah I I think just in terms of the press conferences and again they didn't get into a ton of football stuff there but it's something we talked about last week I think flexibility is going to be a big part of what they do and not being you know they'll have their core concepts yeah. But they emphasize not necessarily being married to doing things a certain direct, concrete way if they can't do them. And, you know, again, from Alex Van Pelt yesterday, it's not so much about scheme. It's about the players and putting those people in positions to succeed. There's a lot of different schemes out there. The best ones put the best players in positions to be successful. Like, 
again, that's what I think. And it's something the Patriots were so good at for so long, but something I feel they got away from the last few years was, look, I, I'm not breaking news here when I say the Patriots won't have the most talented roster in the league next year. Right. Probably not. Even if they get there, you know, you're talking about three, four years. So to, what what you have to do to punch above your weight is figure out ways to maximize the talent you have and figure out ways to incorporate players where, where they're hitting their absolute ceiling and you're maybe able to hide some of those deficiencies. That is going to have to be, and there's numerous ways to do that. It, that's a very um, umbrella answer. It's a very Big Ten answer. But... Yeah, I, I think I, that I, I... I know you're I hear annoyed you, by that. I'm not annoyed by it. I just... I'll believe it when I see it. So okay, like, and, I, and and this I, was, I don't. I'm getting I don't, to the point. My, I think a lot of these guys, and not to cut you off, but like yeah. I, I think a lot of uh, the offensive guys, especially like an Alex Van Pelt, and Ben McAdoo, like these guys have been married to their scheme for decades. Like this is not. It's Van, it's like kind of telling Bill O'Brien to like start over. No, like, I just don't see that happening. I, I, you're not. We're picking up where you left off last week. Yeah. You're not starting over. There's a core concept there. You, you're not going to tell Alex Van Pelt to go run the air raid, right? But, he he's run offenses out of shotgun. He's run offenses out of under center. He's run offenses with mobile quarterbacks. He's run offenses with statues. He's run tight end heavy. Like there's different ways to execute that scheme. Not it, he was asked about if he's going to run the same offense he did in Cleveland. Yeah, and he said similar, not the same. And then he said because the personnel will be different. Yeah, that's that's the point. And like you said, it's all well and good to say that. Does it translate to wins is really the only thing that matters. And my my big, big takeaway was I think these guys get it from uh, this is where the team is at. This is what they have to do sort of thing. Whether or not that translates is another question. And we won't know. I mean, we don't even get to start talking about that until we get into spring practices and then obviously the games yeah. that actually matter. But I do think that understanding of, hey, we're probably going to have to be creative. It's not going to be the exact setup we want. How can we maximize what we have getting started here? That's an. I think that's a lot better than bringing in a coach who says, all right, well, you know, I came from San Francisco, so I'm going to run just exactly what I ran in San Francisco, even though you don't have McCaffrey, you don't have Debo, you don't have Kittle. That would be banging your head against the wall. That would yeah. work. I think there's this recognition of we're going to need to find ways to maximize the talent we have while this roster gets rounded out, and that is... Again, something that I think maybe fell off here the last couple of years and that we've always done it this way. We're going to do it this way, even though you didn't have Tom Brady. You didn't have Devin McCourty. You didn't have Donta Hightower. You didn't have Julian Edelman. And they were still sort of operating like they had those players. Yeah. No, I, I it agree. It feels like now the approach is, all right, if we have to, you know, skew it more towards tight ends, we're going to skew it more towards tight ends. We're going to skew it more towards receivers. We're going to skew it more towards receivers. If we need to do, if we need to run it more out of shotgun, we're going to run it more out of shotgun. If we need to run it more under center, we're going to run it more under center. And that, to me, is one of the most interesting parts about Van Pelt as a candidate is that, well, his offense isn't maybe this heralded Shanahan, whatever. He's been a lot of places. He's done a lot of things. He hasn't always run the exact same offense there's the core concept still yeah and he's not gonna go he's, out they're gonna but they're gonna be a wide zone team they're gonna be a wide zone team yeah i'm not saying they're not but there's so different... they can't be drafting you know frankly dewan joneses as we found out a little bit yesterday like if you you have to build this team yeah in oh. the vision of the coordinator and i i, I think that the fear that i have is that i'm not as actually i i shouldn't even say fear i just i guess it's just more I would rather 
them get with Elliot Wolf, yeah. who I want to talk about in a second as well, and say we need these types of tight ends, we need these types of receivers, we need these types of tackles, and get those types of players versus Elliot Wolf just handing them whatever he hands them and saying make it work. Well, yeah, no, obviously, obviously, and and he, I would think he does. He is kind of communicating with them and saying like, yeah, all right, this, you know, these are the guys that that kind of fit in this basket. These are the guys that kind of fit in this basket, but. They're not going to go out and get – I mean, they might. It would be nice, but are they going to – let's say they draft Marvin Harrison, right? Yeah. Or let's say they draft Joe Alt. The, what the ultimate offensive scheme for 2024 is going to be is going to look slightly different if you draft Joe Alt and you have, you know, a little bit lesser at wide but receiver they, or you draft right, Marvin but they, Harrison. But they want to run the ball. Yeah. That, that's, I think, going to be a major emphasis yeah. for them. I think that they want to run – mostly wide zone like they they can do other things and Cleveland certainly yeah. had a wide variety of runs that they went to but it sounded like they went to some of the more gap stuff that they did recently more out of necessity than out of desire but th- but that's my point it and it worked to an extent I mean like let's not act like Cleveland was the 2007 Patriots no here. but, like, but, it, it but that's exactly extent. my point instead of just hey this we can't do this thing but we're just going to keep banging our heads against the wall and failing yeah. with it because it's what we do. We are going to adjust and actually try to, you know. Fair enough. And, and yeah. that's that. That there's nothing I would wrong just with rather that. be really good at what they're really good at. Okay, I think but the it's, worst it's, the worst thing to do is to say to Alex Van Pelt, and I'm just using this as an example because it's the guys that are prevalent right now. Like here's Jaden Daniels figure it out like your scheme like running under center like bootleg gun action things like that or uh, excuse me bootleg action no gun right Uh, Right. that that that's not going to work with with Jaden Daniels but asking him to all of a sudden be Greg Roman is is a mistake like that's that's not going to work I guess here's here's my point what if Alex Van Pelt goes to them and says, I can make my offense work with Jane Daniels. I'm going to adjust these things, and this is the That's plan. different than me and him see it differently, which is, like, he's definitely right. way more experienced than I am, so maybe that's the case, right? Like, maybe we see the players differently. But I, I want to get into the quarterbacks, too. I don't want to get bogged down on, on this I just think I just think being flexible at this stage is good because there yes. are so many I, different I directions it, it can theory. go. And, and look, maybe – I, in an in ideal world, it works out, and ultimately he gets the exact personnel he wants, and he can run the exact offense he wants, and awesome, we're off and running. That that would be great. Yeah. I'd love that. That's not happening this year. Even if they have a, a perfect offseason, they're more than one offseason away from getting to that point. So how are you going to compensate for, you know, maybe you don't have, maybe you get Marvin Harrison, but you don't have, like, the secondary receivers you want. Maybe they don't yeah. land the tight end they want, in that David Njoku role, something like that. How are you going to continue? Are you just going to keep throwing the ball to bad tight ends because, well, in the offense we run, we throw the ball to the tight end 85 times No, I would just say prioritize the tight end. Okay, well, I mean, that's... I mean, there's, there's options, Maybe right? your tight like, end gets so, hurt. Maybe you have a big game and the tight end gets hurt. Are you just going to throw the ball to a bad tight end because that's, that's what that, we do? Or are different. you going to get creative, get in the lab, and be like, all right, well, this week, this is going to be a bigger part of our game plan. That's what I'm saying. That, I felt like, did not exist here the last few years, at macro and micro. I just... Now, I think... I want I, vision. I want this is what our scheme is. This is what we're good at coaching. This is what we're good at designing play wise. So this is we need these players for it. And I want, you know, unison, like envision of like 
personnel is lined up with coaching and that they understand you know this is we're going to do x y and z on offense so we need you know abc player right and looking at if he wants to emphasize still a David Njoku type of tight end that's an explosive guy, make big right. plays happen. There is Jatavian Sanders. There is no Phantom free agency. Uh, I, Gerald Everett isn't necessarily the downfield player Njoku is, but he's the scheme touch kind of guy that Njoku is. Like those players exist so, in the okay, landscape. So, that's so go get but, but, So that's exactly my point. What you just said with Gerald Everett. Because it's it, it, your whole plan's not going to go perfect, right? right. You're going to have to, and, and having contingency plans is part of this, but Gerald Everett, good player. Fits the system, but is not a one for one for David Njoku. No, he's so, not the downfield player. That but Njoku maybe, is. maybe they look at that and say, "All right, we can bring him in, and we can alter the tight end role a little bit in the bigger picture of what we do, and we're going to make it work with Gerald Everett." Like that sort of flexibility to me is a good thing, as opposed to, "All right, we wanted Jatavian Sanders, we didn't get him." shoot, I guess we'll kick the can for tight end down to next year because we didn't get the exact player we See, wanted to that, play this that, position. That, to me, is what they've done the last few years under Bill and how they got into trouble was, like, they just they didn't aggressively pursue those no, but, types but, of but players. but they didn't because they did the first part of it. They would say, all right, we didn't get player A, we got player B, but then they would try to they would just use player B like he was player A. Exactly. Even if he was a different player. I just want this regime to say – we need player A, and we're going to do what it takes so, to get player right, A. Right, but and, and I, I want them to do that too. You're not going to go 100% doing that in the NFL. You're just not. Even if they spend, and that's not a – the team's not going to spend thing. That's just how many teams get every player they want in an offseason. Not Check every, every player, but there should be a there should cluster be priorities. of players. I'm just using tight end because we talked about it. There should but. be like a cluster of players yeah. that fit it. So at some point in time, whether it's in free agency or it's in the draft, they should be able to get that type right, of player. So, so maybe using tight end isn't isn't a good example. No, it's not, it's, you, it, it's, it not, should be. it's not just tight end. But like I, again – we're going to argue about this for the next like six months. So let's right. let's move on for now and not and not filibuster too much. But I want to I want to talk about we're talking about it already. Uh, personnel because at, right now at this point, my big picture takeaway from yesterday was the Patriots are not going to fail because of their coaching staff. I I, I really feel that way. I think AVP and what they're building on defense with Mayo and Covington is going to be good enough from a schematic strategy. Type of standpoint. I like the special team staff too. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because uh, you, you weren't going to say it. No, because I fell asleep during that. So oh, allow, Springer was I, awesome. I, Come I'll, on, I'll allow you do it. Come on, Springer I'll allow was you awesome. to talk about football it. Football guy. Uh, he is a football big guy. time football. Oh guy. yeah, I, uh, talking about Adam Vinatieri and he's stuff a, like spe- that. He's special he teams put, coach. He's he, exactly what special he, teams he coach. Play, he played the hits. And I, I don't. I don't great. hold that against great. him at all. He's a fireball. He's a ball of energy. Which I, I know, like Cam Accord's not the most popular person around yeah. here right now. But Accord was the same way. Uh, a lot of energy. A lot of intensity. Competitiveness. And you—that's a special teams coach. Like, and, that's what you, know you what want else in the about guy. Springer. And I, I know you didn't not, want this to go like to Springer gl- first. It's not a glorified position, right? Like it's not like the sexiest of roles. So right. the, you have to have, or you know, and when I say roles, I mean like for players well, to play in the kicking game is not the sexiest. No, of but roles. I think for him too, he he played it at UTEP, which it, you know, no disrespect to UTEP, but it's not a premier program. And he, yeah. he said yesterday, he was like, "I knew I wanted to be in the NFL, not playing coaching." He's a guy that seems like loves football, wanted to be around football, however he could get there. And the other thing I'll say, he is a big-time college coach vibe. Yeah. Like, he is a college coach, which on special teams, the way most teams build it, and I would think they're going to build it now, you generally have younger guys. 
Yeah. And you have guys that maybe are going through that adjustment period. So I think a guy with a more college type of approach to it makes a lot of sense in that role. And he is yeah. like he reminds me he reminds me a lot more if I were to say like personality and just talking to him about his coaching philosophy, if I were and he spent a lot of time coaching in college, like this isn't a surprise. But if I were to go through like coaches he reminds me of, I'd probably list like four or five college guys before I'd get to an NFL coach. Yeah, and he's got Tom Quinn on the staff too, which is great. Been a def- uh, defensive special teams coordinator for like a decade with the Giants. Yeah, and so he's got a ton of experience. And he was with the the Titans last year, who I think was I don't know why I have fifth and eighth in my brain. I don't know which one it is, but top ten special teams unit last year. Yeah, so I, I want to. At the end of the day. The coaching staff, I don't think, is going to be a detriment to this team. We'll see about Gerard in terms of the CEO type of stuff. Yeah. But in terms of X's and O's schematically, I don't think the coaching staff is going to be the reason why they're not good. I have one question about it. I'm, I'm just curious what you think. Yeah. Um. So it's the only two we didn't have last time we talked, and it's tight end and wide receivers coach, Tyler yeah. Hughes and Bob. Let, let's, 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 we'll get to that in a okay. second. I want to stay you know, kind of big picture yeah. for a sec. The biggest thing now is personnel. It's been yeah. it's been the biggest thing I think this whole time, but now is when we start to really turn to personnel. The combines next week, free agency is a couple weeks away. The draft is obviously at the end of April, so I think what we need to come away from this is is that now can Elliot Wolf pick the players? Well, it, it goes back it, it's, to it's Elliot Wolf's show. Like yeah. we need to not that we don't already on this show, but Patriots fans need to realize that even though he doesn't have the title. The general manager of the Patriots right now is Elliot. So what I said the other week, right? Call him whatever you want. Call him the GM. Call yeah. him the president of football ops. Call him the king of New England. Call him for breakfast. Like he's he's. <laughs> my, my guess is is pre- like a total guess, but president of football ops has a nice ring to as it. As long as it's not chief football officer, because I, I don't think it will. Yeah. Okay. Um. No, because they don't really use like the general manager title around here. Like they, they haven't used it since Sullivan. Yeah, like this, it's not even a Robert Kraft thing. Orthline never employed it. Right. So director of player personnel right now right. is what Macro is. So to create a role above Macro that's not general manager, president of football operations seems like that would be. So in the past, I just pulled it up here. In the past, they've used VP of player operations. I could see that. Yeah. Um, director of player personnel, director of pro personnel. Uh, de facto general manager, director of player personnel, and uh, VP. So they've used uh, Kraft. Uh, Pioli was VP of player personnel. Yeah. So maybe that's what that's. I mean, it's this is just academic at this point. So, but uh, it goes back to your he, point. Can he pick the players? Remember all during a season when we would kind of do the off season look aheads and people yeah. would say, "What do you think of this player? What do you think of this player? Should they do this? Should they do that?" And we always kind of came back to well, who's coaching the team, right? Who's picking the players, right? We finally. Finally, finally, have the answer to those questions, and now we lock in on this. and And those guys set it up. Those guys set it up yesterday. I, I, Covington didn't talk so much about it, but it there wasn't a ton of scheme talk to get into with Covington because he kind of said off the top, "Yeah, we're going to do what we did," right? Which you'd expect. There's nothing wrong with that. But Van Pelt was very. He didn't use the exact phrase, which I love, but he danced around it a bunch. It's Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's. Yeah. And Springer talked about you that. Know, as, I hate that. But that's what it is. You can have <laughs> that, Evan. That's what makes us a good combo. You that you you come at it from that angle. I I look at it and say, you I'm know, saying, I want my coordinator to be like, I'm going to be the best schemer. You know, I mean, like, you can have a good I scheme. Prefer. You can have a good scheme. But Kyle Shanahan could go out there with his best game plan. Oh, here we go. And again. he could put. We're not getting. No, I'm using him as, again. I'm you, no. I'm using him as the best play designer in the league. I'm actually complimenting him because I do no, think he is that. No, you're not. Who would you rather meet? Andy Reid. Yeah. Could design. 
the best offense he's ever designed for a game. But he could put me, you, I agree. and Mike Cadillac out just, there. I'm just being and facetious. It would look terrible. I, I obviously agree that at the end of the day, it's about the players, which is my whole point here is right. that I think that if you give Alex Van Pelt good enough players, that they're going to be a decent offense. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to be him that's going to be holding them back. It, it Now it comes down to their setup right now is going to be Elliot Wolf and Gerard Mayo are going to be picking the players. When they go to turn in the card at three overall on April 28th, it's probably going to be one of those two guys that has final say in the pick. I would lean probably towards Elliot, but I, I don't know that for a fact. And that look, all the heavy is, is that, the head that, that wears the crown. That's reported. Right? I think Rapport reported that he has like he has directly said control. final say. Yeah, and heavy is the head that wears the crown. Like that's great. I, I'm happy for Elliot. He's a good guy. I think he's got the experience. Yeah. I think he, it's it's a long time coming uh, for him to be in this role uh, for a team. But now do it. But right now, now you're the guy, right? So it, whatever, if success or failure, it's all going to be on you. I, I just I think it's that's at the end of the day, the biggest thing. And I, I thought one of the better quotes, I just was pulling up quotes here uh, from Gerard Mayo is it seems to me based off of his remarks yesterday that him, that this has been brewing behind the scenes that him and Elliot Wolf have kind of mustered up a connection with one another. Uh, you know, talking about uh, he hit it off with Elliot Wolf the first time that they met when Elliot Wolf got here a couple years ago. And then this was, I think, really uh, a very good quote if you're a Patriots fan because it's important, again, for the coaching staff and the personnel department to be in unison right. and to have a, a shared vision. Uh, from a team-wide perspective all the way down to the individual players, our philosophies match. We want to put good football players out there that are fast, smart, and really play for one another he really sees it the same way so I think that those two guys at least currently let's see what happens if one of them likes Jane Daniels and one of them <laughs> likes Drake May but at least currently those two guys have uh, a shared vision and I think my bigger takeaway too uh, was just that not to take anything away from Gerard uh, but it really feels like Elliot Wolf is the one that's pulling the strings right now in terms, even in terms of the coaching staff. Which I, I don't like even, Alex Van Pelt yeah. got up there and said, Elliot called me and I came in for the interview, right? Like he just came right out and said that. Well, that makes sense. Elliot Wolf's had more experience in this than Gerard yeah. Mayo has. And, and Gerard even said like he, he leaned on people through certain steps being new. So yeah, no, it's, it's very clearly Elliot Wolf's show. He's the GM. Yeah. Uh, getting to the, some of the schematic stuff, and this is what I was really looking for, right? I, I mean, this right. is what I was blue in the face last week about is that can we stop talking about, you know, b bridges and silos and start talking about X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's, right? That, you know, that's right. that's the big thing for me. And uh, I, I thought that one of the th a couple of things that Mayo said about Alex Van Pelt were really intriguing. Uh, he, he mentioned, you know, he was asked what coaching against Alex Van Pelt, which he did twice over the last couple of years when the Patriots have played the Browns. They killed the Browns both times, so not exactly a great showing for the Browns' <laughs> offense, but there were reasons behind well, that. One Baker of those Mayfield games, was Baker, was, Baker was yeah. like all banged up. Baker yeah. was hurt. Uh, they, they had a bunch of guys out to injury. I don't think Nick Chubb played in that game, uh, the Mac Jones' rookie year. And then the next year was Jacoby Brissett. Like, it was that run-down right. Browns' offense. Anyways, uh, the, the one thing I'd say about Van Pelt is that he can make the same concept look a bunch of different ways. That's always hard for us on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, so when he said that, I immediately thought to myself, okay, this is Mayo telling us that that's the type of offense that he wanted them to install. He didn't want to have an offense that had – 
a million different plays and was like more like EP system style where it's just like a million different things going on. He wanted to have an offense that had, you know, a lot of the Shanahan, McDaniel, Sean McVay type of roots of this is all the same thing until it's not. And the Patriots had elements of that in their old offense. There's no doubt about that. But the Patriots in their old offense really tried to overwhelm you with information. Like we're going to show different personnel groupings. We're going to show different formations. We're going to do a bunch of different things. And you're just not going to be able to get a beat on what we're doing. This offense is going to be more married together in in the run game, play action pass, and that sort of thing. Where it is wide zone, wide zone bootleg. Where it is, you know, they're they're going to run a lot of inside zone. I think as well, you know, and then half boots, like those types of things. So it was pretty clear, even though you know we knew this already based off of the guys that they interviewed uh, that this was an offense that was intriguing to Gerard Mayo was something that's a little bit more simple, a little bit more streamlined in terms of what they did uh, in in terms of the birth of the playbook. And I do think that, uh, you know, just to gut, I think what's optimistic about this too is I do think that there's going to be a lot more shared responsibility and it's not going to all be on the quarterback at the line of scrimmage. Now we talked a lot of yet last week about the Super Bowl and how right. it has to be a little bit of both and I think it will be uh, but in terms of the run game and in terms of most of the protection stuff I think that the center and you have a really good one and experienced one in David Andrews is going to start to take on a whole lot more of the responsibility in that sort of respect as well. So in, in a lot of ways I think that this was the way that they wanted to go offensively. Now, again, it just comes back to getting the players to run it. But I think that it's a good sign that Mayo was like, yeah, this was a this was a difficult offense to defend, even though they didn't put up 50 points against us. You know, we we saw that this was a difficult offense to defend. Yeah. I mean, I I just I'd agree with all that. I I think that the big thing is how they're going to handle the quarterback position and the transition. Again, it goes back to it's a different challenge. But it's similar. Yeah. I think rolling through five starting quarterbacks compared to having a rookie, there's unique challenges with both. Like, Joe Flacco, although he's coming off the couch late in the season as your fifth starting quarterback, there are things you don't have to worry about with him. You are going to have to worry about it with a rookie. But overall, Van Pelt was in a situation last year where it, it behooved him to make things easier on the quarterback. And that's... Again, that's not a dirty thing. That's not... Especially when the Patriots are going to have a rookie, most likely. Right. And I don't know if he's going to start right away, but the the whole the whole program is going to be around making Jaden Daniels or Drake May or Michael Penix or whoever the best yeah. possible quarterback. Right, exactly. And, I, I mean, I've done this rant before. Everybody knows how I feel about this. Like, saying, oh, so you have to make it easy for the quarterback because he sucks. <laughs> that's what it is. He sucks, so you have to baby... No, that's what smart teams do. Yeah. The Bills do it for Josh Allen. The Ravens do it for Lamar Jackson. Well, it just seems so silly to me. did it for and Patrick it, Mahomes for a long time. Not to rag on, like, everything that they used to do, because I don't want to get into that pattern, right? Because it all, it all didn't stink, obviously. But it just was always so weird to me that they had David Andrews, who is an as veteran experienced of a center and smart as a center as you could possibly have in this league. And they gave the keys to the entire alert system and protection system to two rookie quarterbacks, essentially Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, or, you know, Bailey Zappi is making his first career start and he's out there making checks and audibles at the line of scrimmage. When you have a 10 year veteran at center, you know, that, that can handle these types of things that always interest. It was fascinating to me that they put that much responsibility 
responsibility right away on the quarterbacks. I mean, last year, Mac Jones, I know he's not a rookie anymore, but he talked about it during training camp, about how much the offense puts on the quarterback's well, shoulders. And it was the third offense in three years, so it's not that he was a rookie, but it's just, again, he's constantly learning, and it's a lot to ingest. Yeah, yeah. And look— the, the quarterback position inherently has more going on than any other position. I'm not going to sit here and say take it all off the quarterback's plate. That doesn't work. I, the Niners tried it. What you – no reaction? No. Okay. I'm over it. Um, we're moving on. What We're on to the, we're on to the combine. I'm, I'm not saying take it all off the quarterback's plate. What, what I'm saying is there are inherently things the quarterback is going to have to do that are, are challenges that are just unique to that position. Why put – more if you have a it. young guy, right, why yeah. continue to – and it's it's one thing when you have Tom Brady, and he's been in the league for and 20 years. And I feel like that's and, what they got stuck on right. is, like, they had Brady to do it, so they they went that direction right. because Brady probably wanted but, to go But that also, direction. Brady wasn't doing that for 25 years. Probably not. It, it built to that. And if yeah. you want to tell me, like, if they draft Drake May, in 10 years, Drake May is making all the cha- – like, yeah. hopefully he's still here in 10 years, he's playing yeah. well, and he's making all the checks and calls and audibles in 10 years – well, that makes a lot more sense because that was probably a progression and he built up to it. Year one, not so much. You want to ease these guys in. It's not a bad thing to say, yeah, we want to ease our rookie quarterback in. And it goes back to the flexibility point, too, and all of that. But I, I do they're gonna think— have, They're going to have— The quarterback's going to have some sort of power to be able to get to the line of scrimmage and— once the center sets the protection and sets the call. And if the quarterback sees, you know, this is what we're talking about with the Super Bowl that I felt like Purdy didn't do. If the quarterback sees a blitz tell on one side of the formation and he says to the center, hey, where we're go- where are we going on this play? And the center says the mic is over here, right? And he's saying, well, wait a second. We're- we need to be blocked up on backside here. Then I think the quarterback is going to be able to have the control at the line of scrimmage to flip it. Right to say, let's remic, let's flipper this, let's go over here now instead. I, I think that that's going to have that ability, but it's more going to be QCing it before the ball is snapped. Right, it's not going to be the initial sort of stages of the setup of the play. It's going to be the last second. Oh. You know, we have something funny going on over here. Let's make sure we alert that or let's make sure we slide this way or whatever the case may be. And he's going to be able to do that. Whereas in the Patriots system, the quarterback got to the line of scrimmage, or I should say the Patriots old system, got to the line of scrimmage and it was all on him to do the setup and then to do the final stages of it as well. So I like that they're going to move on from that. Uh, The other thing that I I like from what Mayo said uh, about Van Pelt and just about their vision. Uh, you know, he he was asked kind of more about what, what do you, how do you guys envision playing offense? What's important to you on offense? He said, "I'm expecting first and foremost a tough team," which you know every coach says. Yeah. After that, it really gets into smart players, which I think is interesting because Van Pelt talked a lot about smart, uh, you know, intelligent football players as well. Not just at the quarterback position, he also mentioned it at the offensive line too. That they they are going to have to have guys that can see things and are smart intelligent players you don't have to be a genius but you have to be smart enough and really explosive players and guys that play for one another it was that simple it was that simple just that was so cookie cutter surface level I know people are going to think I'm crazy for being like that checks the box that I was arguing about last week but that's all I needed that's all I needed just tell me how your your 30,000 foot fit feet view and vision of how you want to start to build this offense 
That's all I need. I don't need the. I don't need you to tell me a PowerPoint presentation of the entire offseason and which players right. you like and which guys you're going to target and things like that. Would be great, but I don't need you to tell me that. I just need you to say these are the types of football players that we want. This is the type of mentality that we want to have offensively. At least we got a little bit more of that. I felt like yesterday. Yeah, no, it started, and they they said off the top they weren't going to talk X's and O's, and then they did a little bit. So I was yeah. surprised by that. But you you got the. The general basis of it, I think, for sure. Okay, a uh, couple of last things here. I, I we obviously have to talk about Van Pelt's answer about the quarterback, right? And, yeah. and what he looks for in the quarterback. He said it a couple of different ways, uh, but I think the the bigger things that he said, you know, this was well. Th- let's use the first answer because that I think was more honest. That was the more gut reaction. The second one, the question was kind of phrased in a different way. So I I, I don't I wrote this with both answers combined. So I are talking about the decision making accuracy. That answer. Hang on, I have it. No, I'm talking about the first one where he talked about leadership. Yeah, the one that you hate. That that's definitely been was a theme of all the answers he gave about quarterback. It was leadership. Yeah. Uh, so I'll just read this one: uh, decision making, accuracy, the fundamentals and mechanics that the guy is sound, and a big one again is leadership. The big piece for me is leadership, toughness, accuracy, decision making. All four are important. So he went on a, a lot about leadership, and here here's the other one. Uh, smart, tough, and a leader. You put him in charge in those categories. Obviously, there's accuracy in the pass game, mobility, decision-making. There's a lot that goes into it. But at the end of the day, that role is so important to the rest, not just the rest of the offense, but the rest of the team. A guy that's a true leader that can come in and really understand his teammates and get the best out of those guys. And then he said something a little later on. I'm trying to find it. He said something about like the physical traits are... The physical attributes are obviously important, but if a guy's a leader can come in and make good decisions and throw the ball accurately, those are all pluses. So he refers to like accuracy and decision making as pluses yeah. beyond leadership. It kind of is like, well, if you can't be a leader, I don't really care what you can do elsewise. Yeah, I think that leadership, obviously accuracy and decision making, exactly yeah. what he said. And I think the last thing that that he said, and and I think you know Ben McAdoo uh, sort of subscribes to this as well, is fundamentals. I think fundamentals is going to be important to these these coaches. I think footwork, I think mechanics, and I look at some of these quarterbacks in the draft and my my guy Drake May, not necessarily the most mechanically sound, right? Certainly more of a project right now in terms of those types of things. I'm not saying that they're not going to that that eliminates Drake May from the conversation, but we have a show today, so the po- well, like, look, who do we think it fits that mold there's no quarterback that checks every single one of those boxes i mean i'm writing this column later today but we can do we can do this fun little game here take caleb williams out of it because we think he's going one one right so we're not going to include caleb williams in this we'll go through the traits that he uh he included smart could mean a bunch of things but let's just whatever you would consider smart for a quarterback reading the field yeah give me the top three in the draft in terms of smart smart yeah oh um that's tough because i i think it's it's hard there's so many different systems with these quarterbacks. However you want to qualify smart. I would say in terms of the guy that I feel like has yeah. the, the most thoughtfulness in in terms of okay. manipulation, processing, yeah. that type of stuff, this is what intrigues me about Drake May. I think he's okay. the best passer out of this group, honestly. like Not yeah. the best thrower necessarily, but the best passer where I see him – using eye manipulation using pump fakes like he knows that if he looks over there it's going to open the passing window uh, you know over there you know like those types of things so i would say in terms of decision making processing and sort of the quarterbacky type yeah. okay th- so stuff, decision say, making who's the best de- all right so smart you're going drake may yeah best decision maker 
best decision maker, I, I would probably have to give it to Jaden Daniels. I mean, the okay. guy threw like seven turnover-worthy plays yeah. the entire year. Uh, I thought, you know, he he showed a, a good ability to take care of the football. Or wait, wait, back. We were going to do top three to put together. So who else is smart? You go Drake May. I go Drake May. Uh, I would say that Caleb is probably a little we're bit smart. Caleb oh, we're taking, we're taking Caleb, Caleb out of it. They're not getting him. Okay. Um, Penix. Penix. Okay. Yeah. In, in in that Washington system, like I don't know what it would look like in a different well, you, offense. Well, you, you only can work with what you you have to yeah, work with. So I would say Drake May, Penix, and then I, you can go outside the top six too if you want. Yeah, I I know I I would say Drake May, Penix, and and maybe Bo Nix, but okay. not because I want Bo Nix, just because I. Well, think no, they, no, no, no. You know, I mean, I think people see he, him going with this. Okay, he, he's been here for seventeen years in college. I mean, so like he's got experience. Decision making. Said Daniels. Daniels won. Yeah, I would think. Um, I, I mean. I, I think in in terms of pure decision making, like I do think Penix is pretty strong in that category okay. too. And uh, I the last one I I would probably go. I said Jaden won, yeah. right? I I would not put Drake May. I was going to I will. I was going to jump over the table if you try to put Drake May. Yeah, on the Drake list. May is is that is his biggest knock. Yeah, <laughs> like he is he's he's a carnival red. Uh, can I? I mean, depth uh, guy. Can I pitch Michael Pratt? Yeah, like yeah. I mean, I'm not drafting Michael Pratt, but. But I mean, just for the sake of this, pure, yeah. Okay, so we have we have smarts, we have decision making, toughness. Well, Jaden's certainly tough, but maybe too tough, right? Like a guy plays like Wiley Coyote. Yeah, I would not so. put him. I I think there's a clear cut number one here. Who's that? It's Michael Penix. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess that's fair, just because of the bounce backs from the injuries and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, certainly. Also, he played um, the national championship game with like a broken rib. Yeah, I think Drake May is up there too in terms of just staring yeah. down the barrel and willingness to take hits and uh, things like that in the pocket poise. You know that stuff. And I, I would put Jaden up there just because he does take risks with his body. Like he's not yeah. afraid. Like he doesn't play afraid. Uh, he plays maybe a little bit too confident, but he doesn't play afraid, which I think is important. Okay, so now. We're not going to do leadership because we're not in the room with these guys, and that's the big yeah, unknown. Yeah, but I think that, so, you know, just like hearing some of the things, because I was, you know, thinking about this. All right, too. so hang on. We'll save that for last. Yeah, let's save do, it for last. Let's do accuracy. Uh, most accurate? Yeah. I mean, I mean, Nick's completed like 70 something percent. Yeah, uh, Nick's, is, Nick's was accurate. I think, you know, th- these guys all are accurate in different areas of the field, and some guys have issues for in what, other areas. For of what the field. they want to do. So put them in. The kind of throws they'll be making with the Patriots. Okay. Most accurate. Um, I think Daniels would probably be up there. Daniels number one? Uh, he's, His short accuracy is not very good. Okay. That's the problem. But, like, his deep accuracy, he's probably the best deep ball thrower in the class. Oh, besides, you, him or Penix. But in terms of timing, yeah. accuracy, ball placement, I mean, look, I, I the one thing I'll say, and, and Penix applies to the same thing as well, but when you're throwing to Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr., like those guys, everything's going to be on the. They're, on they're, point. Gonna, yeah. they're open all the time, so it's kind of tough to say. But I, I think Daniel's really accurate yeah. with it. Uh, I think Penix is obviously really accurate with, it, especially the big time throws down the field. He has that yeah. pinpoint accuracy, um, and, and then probably Bo Nix. Yeah. Okay. So and then leadership. So I've heard some really good things about Drake May's leadership. Okay. I like 
guys, you know, one of those guys you walks into the room, gravitate towards them. And like, you know, like uh, Bill Parcells, I think used to call them planet players, yeah. right? Just guys that have that gravitational pull that can get the group together. Uh, I think he's up there. I think Penix is 1-1, one, one, though, in that category. Oh, yeah. uh, so I'd say Penix, uh, Drake May, too. I've heard that Jaden Daniels has gotten better in this regard, but certainly early on in his career, like at Arizona, uh, was it State or so, Arizona State? Did yeah. you watch that that series LSU put out on him? And obviously, yeah. it's from LSU. You you did watch, yeah. It. So he, I think he's I think he's grown into it. Okay. I think he has. So here's what you have, and we can kind of is this an aggregate? Like I was gonna say, we're gonna kind of aggregate it. Yeah. So Drake May, and we'll see. Was the uh, the highest score? We'll yeah. Do. So Drake May has three. Plus, now is it five? So we'll give Drake May a seven. Okay. We'll give Michael Panic unless you want to talk while I add this up. No, yeah, I, I just, I know where you're going with this on your in your report card. I I don't necessarily disagree with you. I look. Uh, I just, honestly like. I'm writing this later. I just that's why I had you do it. But I just think the biggest thing that I came away with from yesterday is is it's so fascinating. And I think this goes back. You know, not to make everything about the 49ers, but it, it goes back to so many of these quarterback decisions that we've seen over the last couple of years around the league, where the coaches want one thing, and the personnel department. I'm not saying that they're at a divide because I I don't know that, but I'm just this is, happens all the time. The personnel department looks at traits, right? Like they look at arm strength, mobility, accuracy down the field, toughness in the pocket, poise. And then the coaching staff comes in and says, this guy's footwork is a mess. This guy's right. release is a mess. Like I have to fix all of this. Okay. So, you know, we'll add, we're going to add one more because you talked about it. Mechanics. Mechanics. Yeah. I think the cleanest, I, I think Jaden Daniels is the cleanest thrower. Okay. In this class, he's got some footwork things that he's got to work out but in just term, in terms of delivery and upper body uh, he's got a really nice compact release I yep. know you're gonna hate that I'm gonna say this but JJ McCarthy is probably number two on the list well they're not always consistent but occasionally. yeah I mean he has a really good ability to uh, snap the ball out of his hand and uh, you know really yeah. connect his body together to generate velocity JJ uh, McCarthy number two um, I can't put Penix in there because he's just he's a lefty and it just I it, have you seen funky. it flipped? Have you watched it flipped? Okay, but it's like it from still the doesn't side look great. and like I I just I wouldn't put him there and I can't put Drake May there either because no. he's all over the place sometimes. Can't put Joe Milton there. <laughs> Definitely like Rattler, Knicks. I would say uh, um, uh, Pratt. It's probably Rattler like, might go Hartman. Rattler might be up there, honestly. Like okay. just because you know he does a really good job of generating velocity uh, from his lower half. So I I would say Rattler. Okay. Probably. So here's Evan Lazar's oh, aggregate scores for the best fits for what Alex Van Pelt said he's looking for at quarterback. Yep. I'm gonna go uh, bottom to top. So uh, Michael Pratt, Spencer Rattler both scored a one. Good. You want a high higher number better? Yeah. J.J. McCarthy scored a two. Yeah. Bo Nix scored a four. Okay. Drake May scored a seven. Yep. Jaden Daniels scored a ten. And Michael Penix scored an 11. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. I mean, when you start to really boil it down, but again, I think what I was talking about when you were computing your, your report yeah. card over there is this, I think, often is the divide between the coaching staff and the front office. The coaching staff wants a leader. They want a tough guy. They want a fundamentally sound guy. They want a pro-ready quarterback, frankly. Like, that's what they want. They want an adult. They don't want to take a kid and have to develop him because, let's face it, you don't often get a lot of time in this league. 
So if you have to take a guy and develop him for two or three years, you might get fired by the time the guy is ready to really play. So if you take leadership out of it, then Jaden Daniels actually has the best score with a nine. Then it's Michael Penix with an eight. Then it's Drake May with a five. Yeah, look, Jaden Daniels is a really good prospect. I have him in the same tier as Drake May. I don't hate Jaden Daniels by any means. I think the only difference is is that I think one is fit to play under center and one isn't. And is that going to be a deal breaker for AVP? Is that we have to be able to play from under center? You're not putting Jaden Daniels under center. Now, we we talked about it in the past, and we'll get into it a little bit more, and certainly if they draft him, we'll get into it a ton. But the one thing that teams like Baltimore, uh, teams like Miami, uh, have done with quarterbacks that aren't comfortable under center is they run a lot more pistol because in the pistol – they can still have that action with the bootleg and right. turn your back to the defense and fake a handoff. And then the running back still has the option to go either direction because he's not offset. So you have that freedom to be able to do some of the same mechanics of being under center, but you're doing it from a, a more of a gun type of alignment so maybe that's the answer like if they draft Jaden Daniels maybe they run wide zone like Miami runs wide zone which is from the gun in the pistol maybe they run you know more stuff that is a little bit more like Baltimore from the pistol uh but again that's the flexibility that's that's, that would be fun like I'm all for that I think that the one thing about Jaden Daniels that you have to ask on that list that Van Pelt said is that he made such an emphasis on leadership and I don't know Jaden Daniels, so I don't so, want to like. But based off the speculation, especially at Arizona State, I so not, not labeling him a leader. And and look, I wasn't there, but most people who knock Daniels' leadership ability cite the Arizona State the, the yeah. locker video where yeah. he announced he was transferring out of a program that a lot of players transferred out of because it was a mess. He announced he was transferring, and guys trashed his locker. Yeah. Would you really do that if you were happy somebody left? No, they were mad he left because they knew he was good. They knew they were going to win games with him. That is not a knock on leadership. That is just being a victim of a transfer portal and Herm Edwards running a toxic program. There are some other things people will cite, but and I'm not saying yeah. that he's I'm not saying he's going to go out there and be like the ultimate leader of men. I'm not saying he's going to go out there and be somebody who is like, oh, as soon as he's done with football, he's going to campaign for president. Yeah. But I I do think that. That was five years ago. He's yeah. much older now. He's been through a lot. Everybody at LSU seems to rave about him. So I don't think it was as bad as people painted at Arizona State. I'm not saying it was perfect, but I also think he used his time at Arizona State as a learning experience and change. If you can get guys to gravitate towards you in a Brian Kelly program, you're doing something right. He's he's a quiet leader, though. He's like a lead-by-example type yeah. of guy from what I understand. But you know who was like that, by all accounts? Gerard Mayo. Yeah, no, it's not a bad thing necessarily. Yeah. It's just that that's he's not going to be, you know, you're not going to necessarily see Jaden Daniels walking up down and down the sideline yelling at everybody like Tom Brady used to do. But he right? did like kind that, of start doing that later in later in, you know, last leadership year. I think is such a silly thing because like there's no way to to quantify leadership. And I think ultimately what what it means to me is just do guys play for you? Like when we look, when you know the, I, we're not going to necessarily talk a ton about the dynasty because we have yeah. plenty of you know PU and um, the dynasty podcast covers that. But like the dy- in the dynasty, 
Danny Amendola had that like famous quote that that's getting or making the rounds of, you know, we work for Bill, but we played for Tom and you want a quarterback that we play for this. Everything. Guy. That's what you want. Everything that we've heard out of LSU is guys played for Jane Danny. I agree. So I agree. I, I mean, you don't put up the season that he just put up with, and got, with guys not right. liking you very often. And, and look, there's leadership. Like when I do mine, and I'm going to do a version of the exercise we just did, and that'll be up tomorrow at 98.5thesportsub.com. Nice plug. Thank you. I'm actually not going to include leadership because it is so – unless you're in know. the locker room, you don't yeah. know. Yeah. So you want to include – it end up skewing it. It put panics over Daniels when you include leadership when you don't. Daniels is the guy. Yeah. Uh, I will say to your results, and I texted you this last night, so I this is something yeah. I believe before we ran through that, Michael Penix is more in play than we maybe thought he was. I think based on what they said, not yeah. necessarily at three. I'm not saying yeah. they're going to go take him at three, but the way Van Pelt talked about quarterbacks, in my mind, I kept going back to Michael Penix. There's no kind of the guy. There's he's no better leader in this draft than Michael Penix. There's no better leader. Toughness. There's no guy who's tougher. Yeah, he has. I mean, we we talked about this last week in terms of scheme fit. There's it's pure there. scheme fit. He might be the best. And are his mechanics perfect? No. I don't think they're as bad as a lot of people think they are. I think they're just thrown off by the lefty thing. I, I've compared him to Phillip Rivers, whose mechanics obviously weren't perfect. But here's my thing with mechanics. As long as your throwing motion is consistent. Exactly. It doesn't – if you throw the ball the same – it's like a, a shooter in basketball. Like, you might – everybody shoots a little bit differently. But as long as it's a consistent launch point, it's not going to necessarily and So, I, I, I look at – and I'm not saying Penix is Aaron Rodgers. But the point is, you would never teach a quarterback – you're starting with, like, a kid. Yeah. You would never teach. You would never put on Aaron Rodgers and say throw the football like this. No, you'd put on Brady and say throw right. the football but like him. Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, because it worked for him because it was consistent. Yeah, I, I I worked with somebody once who in scouting kickers, and it's it's similar. You can roll your eyes. It's similar. The mechanics. What he would do is he would take ten kicks, and he'd overlay them on a video on transparency, and it would look like if the kicker was good, it would look like one kick. You wouldn't see deviation now quarterback's a little different because there are times where you're going to change your arm angle or you're going to try to throw a platform, but they're not the prettiest mechanics. But it's the same thing every time. It's the same. He's throwing the ball the same way. And if your motion's repeatable and you're having success with it, if it's not the prettiest thing, if you're making it work, you're making it work. And yeah, that is I what mean, I'd say for Penix's mechanics. I know it's mechanics. like some of it's because they're both lefties, but like let's like Tua doesn't have the prettiest throwing motion. Well, remember either. when they flipped the video for Tua and it everybody was like, what the hell's going on? Why does yeah. this guy look like a real quarterback? Again, yeah. watch Michael Penix flipped. In general, though, I do agree with you that Penix checks a lot of the boxes that the coaching staff yesterday was talking about. Yeah. Is that going to align with per the personnel department? Is, is Elliot Wolf going to override everybody because of talent? Like that's a different conversation. Uh, but certainly, experience I think is goes hand in hand with leadership as well. Toughness, accuracy, decision making. Penix checks a lot of those boxes. But we all know that the biggest week of Mike Michael Penix's life is next week in Indianapolis when they and he doesn't really have to do anything except sit on a doctor's yeah, table. Yeah, I that is literally a difference for Michael Penix and millions of dollars of what those doctors tell teams about his shoulders and about his knee. 
So it's going to be fascinating to see the reporting that comes out of the combine. So on that note, I, I just retweeted the Michael Penix right-handed video. So please watch that. Is there any? Point. Is there anything else? I mean, Troy Brown being back on the staff, I guess, is is notable. We don't necessarily know his role. Yeah, yet. it's hard to talk about. So, so I, we know it's what he's a little doing. bit hard to talk about. But uh, those were the main headlines. I, I had I felt one like. other question about the staff. Yeah. Um, so they bring Bob Bicknell and Tyler Hughes, their tight ends and wide receivers coaches, respectively. Hughes yeah. had been here. Bicknell's been coaching football so long. He coached at PU and he coached in NFL Europe. So those right. are just, you know, I'm not saying those are great things, but that's how long PU hasn't had a football program and how long NFL Europe went away, how long ago. So Bicknell played tight end in college. He started off as a tight ends coach. He coached tight ends a little bit, but he's spent the better part of the last decade and a half coaching wide receivers. And he's coached receivers on teams that had good receivers, the Eagles in the mid-2010s. He's with the Niners for a year. Hughes was a general assistant here, and he was a general assistant in Washington. And, I mean, obviously, Washington had good receivers, and I think he worked with receivers here his first time around. But Bicknell, to me, is what I wanted them to hire in a wide receivers coach. Yeah. And he's coaching tight ends. And it's nothing against Tyler Hughes. It's just I look at Bicknell's resume. He hasn't coached tight ends in in. 13 years. Well, so I think that the tight end position coach is a, a really important one on your staff because they have their hands in so many different yeah. things. So I think that experience at that spot with multiple positions can actually be really helpful because you are in the run in the pass game meetings. Like it, you have to coach your guys up in on the run elements and the pass elements equally at the tight end position where as like receivers, for example, yeah, like blocking with receivers is a thing, but it's not the most important thing. So I think in that element, it's good that Bicknell's had experience with various positions. I think it's important because he's going to have a hand in both things. In terms of the receivers coaches, the way that I see uh, Tyler Hughes and Tyquan Underwood, I think Tyler Hughes is going to be more of game plan, X's and O's, opponent studying. That's like kind of what I figured. This is what we're going to do. Right in this week, and this is how we're going to go forward. Tyquan Underwood, I think what they're hoping is going to, you know, you know, my guy, the footwork king, is yeah. like he's going to be their own footwork That's king. That's kind of what I figured. I, I like the Tyquan Underwood hire. I really do. I think I, that, that I, makes I think sense. it's, you know, there's a lot of really good uh, receiver coaches around the league, and I know it hasn't necessarily worked out with Troy Brown, but in general, that obviously played, you know, like a Keenan McCardell, uh, Sean Jefferson, like those types of guys. And you don't necessarily, I know Tyquan Underwood wasn't Randy Moss. Like you don't necessarily need to be a, a great player to be a great coach. I just look at him and, you know, I think he's going to be the guy that's out there early drilling releases and drilling top of the route stuff and things that are going to be more technique based with these guys. I think when they, if they draft a guy, which they should, but whenever they draft a guy, you know, let's say the first day that that Roman Wilson's on on the property, I think the guy that he's going to be working with a lot is Tyquan Underwood in, in terms of doing the actual movement skill type stuff of playing the receiver position. And Tyler Hughes is going to be more of a guy that's going to be handling, you know, helping uh, Van Pelt and McAdoo those guys with, with game plan and X's and O's. Right. That's just my hunch, uh, just based off of their backgrounds and expertise. But I think Bicknell. I think a lot of these guys, you know, Bicknell, McAdoo, I think a lot of these guys' responsibilities is going to be helping to 
run the offense from a more big picture standpoint and a more a game plan oriented standpoint because I don't think Gerard Mayo is gonna is is gonna take on a ton of responsibility in in that regard offensively. I think this is gonna be completely Van Pelt and McAdoo show on the offensive side of the ball. I think yeah. the, the, I don't think Mayo is gonna have a ton of hand in it, uh, which, which I think is good. Yeah. I think what's you know the other thing before we we t- started to open the phone lines and talk a little bit uh, about the combine as well. Uh, the the other thing I thought was good is that he's it sounds like Demarcus Covington's going to call the defense. So you have a first time head coach who's one of the youngest head coaches in the NFL, and they are trying to manage his responsibilities and manage what's on his plate right out of the gate, which I think is a good thing. If he had been, it been more than fair for him to say, "I'm a defensive guy." This is my de- I'm calling the defense, right? You know, D'Amico Ryan's in Houston right. calling the defense, but I think he wants to take more of that CEO approach. Probably something he learned from Bill, and and try to be a little bit more of an overseer. And I think that's good for a first time head coach. I, I think it's hard to be in your play sheet and then also deal with all the other things that the the defensive coordinator ne- or uh, that the head coach, excuse me, needs to deal with. So I like the fact that he's handing off some of those responsibilities. You know, obviously Van Pelt was going to call the offense. So yeah, you know, nobody else would. Uh, but that Demarcus Covington's going to call the defense, I thought, is a good thing as well. Yeah. All right, uh, let's take some of these phone calls. I know some people have been waiting on for a, a while. We appreciate it. Uh, Kendall is in North Carolina. What's up, Kendall? What's going on, Evan? What's going on, Alex? Hey, how you doing? All right. Um, I, I, I heard y'all talk in the first opening segment about the scheme about Van Pelt. What receivers in this draft um, fit his scheme? And my second question is: Have y'all had a chance to look at um, the Arizona wide receiver Jacob Cowan, I believe? And how would he fit with the Patriots? Thank you. Thanks for the call, Kendall. Yeah, Jacob Cowan was at the Senior Bowl, right? Yeah, I, I remember seeing him. He had a great week. No, um, I. I think the first question, what receivers fit, uh, I, I don't think that it's necessarily such a receiver-heavy uh, scheme that one receiver wouldn't fit versus another receiver. I, I, I do think that the one thing that I'm hoping and that they're going to get to is, you know, I, I think separation is a little bit of a buzzword around here. I don't necessarily think that they love that they were filled with Devontae Parkers and Juju Smith-Schusters and guys that graded out really poorly in terms of top-of-the-route separation. Uh, so I, I'm hoping that they're going to be a little bit more like that. You know, guys like in Cleveland, Amari Cooper, one of the best route runners and separators in the NFL. guy like Elijah Moore, who's a speedster, you know, speed slot, kind of like a Pop Douglas. I think that those are the types of guys that they're going to look at uh, in this draft. But I would I would say that we have to talk about it. Like blocking is going to be somewhat important in, in this scheme. They're going to run the ball a lot and they're going to have to be able to have guys that block, you know, teams like the Rams, San Francisco, those teams have great blockers. Now Miami is, is built with speed demons. They don't have great blockers and they can still run the ball. So it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, but I, that's how I see the receiver position. I'm not necessarily thinking that they are going to have a certain type of receiver that they say, like, we need receivers that play this way because I think the scheme is a little bit less dependent on guys on the outside and a little bit more dependent on, uh, obviously, the the marriage or the run game and the pass game, but also, you know, tight end, running back, things like that. Yeah, it, they, it's more about overlap than scheme, and, and that goes to a guy like Jacob Cowling. You're not going to have Jacob Cowing and Pop Douglas on the field at the same time. Yeah, it's a good point. And so drafting a guy like like getting to X, get a true Z. Yeah, and there there are multiple ways you can go about that. Yeah, I, Cowing for me, he's really small. Yeah, uh, I think he checked in at like one sixty something at the Senior Bowl. 
Um, so a guy that small who and and I I mean I, I like Cali. I don't want to like say he's he's an undrafted player, but he's an interesting, you know, Sam Pop Douglas got drafted in the sixth round, but I thought Pop Douglas Well, I think just coming from Arizona. Yeah, I, I think probably helps Cowan. Like he played in a better conference. Yeah, five eight one sixty five. I just think a guy that's so that it's small, like two two Atwell size. A guy that's that small in a role they already have filled. Yeah, doesn't make a lot of sense for them. Yeah, I, I, I where you're gonna have to take him, which is probably early on day three. A senior bowl, I don't think it was great for him. And Pop Douglas had a great Shrine Bowl. Yeah. And so I think that those are two things that were, are working against Cowan is his size and, and his performance at the Senior Bowl where his size showed up. It was, he was having issues, uh, you know, getting off physical coverage that, and, and stuff like that. I mean, a guy at that size, the the draw with him is supposed to be he catches everything and he had some issues with drops. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Devin is in Florida. What's up, Devin? Hey, how you guys doing today? Hey. Good, thanks. Uh, all right, so I had two questions. My first question was uh, Devon. Sorry, it, it's all good. Um, if you guys, um, if the Patriots end up missing out on Drake May and they end up drafting Jaden Daniels, do you feel like uh, his ability to throw into the intermediate middle part of the field will be a problem developing? And my second question was, uh, how would you feel if the Patriots found a way to pry? Brandon, I you got of San Francisco. Yeah, uh, good. Two good questions. I, I think that the biggest thing with Jaden Daniels that that I see on film with him is he passes up some things in the middle of the field that are maybe like the second and third read in the progression to run, and he's such a dynamic runner that. I've put up plays before on, on Twitter where he might pass up a dig route and then he runs for 45 yards and nobody cares, right? Like, right. you're just like, all right, whatever. But the problem is, is that, you know, twofold. One, in the NFL, those scramble yards are going to be less. Like, you're going to get caught faster in the NFL than you are in college. So the 45-yard run in the NFL might only be a 15-yard run, right? You know, follow me. And then the second thing is, is when you run that much, the body blows start to add right. up. You take a beating, and you. I. My biggest concern with Jaden Daniels as a prospect is that is he going to be able to get there as a passer where he can beat you simply from the pocket with his arm? And this was the issue with Justin Fields. Like he hasn't gotten there yet. Justin Fields is uber talented, good runner, strong arm. Probably has a better arm and more arm talent than Jaden Daniels does. But he has not been able to take that next step as as a pocket passer where his running ability is like an extra. It's like a, a sprinkle on top. Right. Lamar Jackson got there. Lamar Jackson's running ability is his superpower, but he can also beat you from the pocket. That's why he's the MVP of the league. That's Those are the two comparisons I have for, for Jaden Daniels. That's his floor and his ceiling. So is, are they going to be able to develop a guy like Jaden Daniels into that next phase of his uh, passing ability is going to determine whether or not he can be a consistently good thrower. And that that will determine everything with his career because I don't think he's going to make it in a, a, a 10-year, 15-year career playing the way he does now. Because it not not just because he runs so much, but also how he runs. Like he cannot. Right. Like he, I mentioned Wiley Coyote earlier. Like he he runs like a, like a crazy person. Like he runs like he's Josh Allen, but he's not Josh Allen's size. Right. So those body blows are going to catch up to him, and uh, that's where the passing comes from. I, I think the other thing that that gives me pause about Jaden Daniels too. And I'm interested to hear your your thoughts on this. So many much of his production 
came from throwing fade routes to Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas. And those two guys are going to get drafted in the probably top 20, top 25 picks. Malik Neighbors might be a top five pick in this draft. So he's not going to be able to replicate that necessarily. Now, Joe Burrow didn't matter, right? Like Jamar right. Chase, Justin Jefferson, he had all-world receivers, well, and he got to the NFL. And, and he got ma- Jamar Chase. Well, well, yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Like, it, yeah. it, it mostly didn't matter. Uh, but some guys that does matter for. I I think, you know, there's so many intriguing qualities from for Jaden Daniels, but it's our job to tell you both sides of the coin with every single player. Right. And I think that those are the two things that hold me back the most with him. I think I, – I, I've said this before. If you're going to knock – quarterbacks for having an outstanding surrounding cast then you're taking drake may or you're not taking a quarterback that's just that's in, fair. in the nil and i even think i've kind of come around on this take and this will become for the people who don't really follow college football this will become a lot clearer next year yeah drake may's supporting cast was not nearly as bad as we've made it out to be they're just all underclassmen so they're not in the draft this year uh, guys like Omar and Hampton, the running back, Bryson Nesbitt, but it's, the tight end. To be fair to him, though, it's nowhere near what, it's nowhere ne- well, what Daniels and Penix were playing uh, with. Wait until you watch Bryson Nesbitt next year. I, he's Close not Roma Dunze or Malik Neighbors. All right, well, but here's my point. Like, If you're going to fault the quarterback for the surrounding cast, you're not going to find It's a- not so much faulting him for the supporting cast. It's just the type of throws that he was you know, like making. Well, but that, So what I would say thing. is, like, again— The deep then, ball works when Malik Neighbors is five right. yards behind the So defense. then go out and get a deep ball receiver. Like, sure. that's what you do for your young quarterback. You build around him. Again, that's not a dirty thing. You don't go out and surround Jane Daniels with slot receivers. Yeah. And that's not saying you can't have a slot receiver, but you don't go out and surround him with guys. You don't run routes past 15 yards. You don't run anything past a five route. I agree with you. So, it's. I mean, it's a fair question. Yeah. Like, all right, but, but I think you're phrasing it wrong. It's not what's going to happen when he doesn't have Malik Neighbors to throw fade balls to. It's who do we get Jaden Daniels to throw the fade ball to? Cause that's one of his best throws. Yeah. That's how I, and that could be, that is his best throw. Right. He, the, he drops more dimes on. So I would fades. say back like to you, fade dimes are his bread and butter. So I would say back to you. I mean, we'll take Harrison out because you're yeah. in, in, in neighbors and Odunze and, and Thomas, obviously, but right. Free agency in the draft. Who are the best fade receivers? I know. I, was it A.D. Mitchell we were talking about last week? A.D. Mitchell's who, a really good—I think A.D. Mitchell's going to be more like a possession receiver is, in the who league. Who is it you were talking—you said about somebody, you were like, he sells every route as a fade route. Oh, probably a Dunze. He's really good Oh, okay, that. so maybe it wasn't. But and, like, and A.D. AD Mitchell, I think, is, is good at that, too. Who's the best fade receiver in the draft? Or, or give me the best fade receiver in the draft. Give me the best fade receiver in free agency. Best fade receiver yeah. in the draft outside of outside the, of like of the, the guys they guys. could get if they get Jane Daniels Xavier Worthy, okay I would say, uh, but he there's a lot of overlap there with Pop Douglas, okay uh, certainly, but in terms of what about like Jalen fa- Polk, uh yeah Jalen but Jalen Polk does it with more like skill at the catch point, okay you know he's not like necessarily fast enough to create a ton of vertical separation but he's he's got the strongest hands yeah. some of the strongest hands in this class i I don't want to like be hyperbolic and be like everybody's so right. good, but he has really really strong hands and great at the catch point uh, so he wins more like that in in terms well, but no, i'm not saying it's totally contested but yeah. it's like more through traffic all right than, how about in free agency um that's a good question because this is not really like a, it's not a good class. It's in terms of that skill right. set. It's not really a fade I mean, class. Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley's definitely got the speed to be that type of guy, but he. I always think of Calvin Ridley as more like an inbreaker guy, like okay. crossers, dig routes, things like that. Um, 
The other guy I would just mention in the draft is Troy yeah. Franklin, just because okay. of his speed. He's more of like an outside the numbers fade receiver than the slot fade. Uh, but I don't see why he couldn't run a so, slot fade. I, but... Again, and this is this is what we talked about earlier: having a plan. If you're going to yeah. draft Jaden Daniels, you identify it and you say it's, it's a vertical system for sure. Right, like you're going to push the ball down the it, field. But but you identify if you're Van Pelt, and I mean I don't. You're better at this than me. Like I don't. Were they overly vertical heavy in Cleveland or? Yeah, especially they were, when okay. they transitioned to Flacco, obviously, but in. In general, that is a it's a vertical passing system based off of the run game. So so they're not trying to not to cut you off, but yeah. they're they're not trying to like pull a guard to get a linebacker to step up so that they can throw a crossing route at the second level. Right. They're trying to get like single high safety, draw everybody in, and then throw a post fifty so yards. So how I down play Madden. Yeah. So then yeah, so this is what we talked about with the plan. If you're gonna draft Jaden Daniels, this is his best throw. You identify the receivers that are best on the other end of that, and you go out and get them. Yeah. That that would be my response to that. And they're not going to be Malik Neighbors or Brian Thomas. And maybe you don't get them this year. You know who's really great on the fade balls is Luther Burton. I don't know if you're sick of me talking about this guy yet or if you remember who he is. I'm just trying to think of uh, a free agency because free agency is, you know, I mentioned Ridley's like a, a pure Z to me. Like he's a guy that is going to, uh, really Do you want me to just give you the rankings to maybe spark the names? That goes in the middle of the field. Yeah. 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 Um, hang on. i got to find a wide receiver here. Because at the top of my list, I have Chris Jones. I don't think you want Chris Jones running fades. Um, I mean, probably could. T. Higgins more of a jump. I mean, yeah, you could make T. Higgins work ball. with Jaden Daniels, but it Obviously. would look different. Yeah. Uh, Michael Pittman? No. No. Yeah, he's not. Uh, Mike Evans? I mean, in his own way, but again, more like T. Yeah. Higgins. Hollywood Brown? Yeah, I, Hollywood Brown definitely could. I, I I like Hollywood Brown more than most people because you know I like the speed guys. Yeah. Uh, but playing through contact is obviously his. He's he's not tough. Like you, that's you not a guy to go out battle. and get a true big X yeah. to to take yeah, the bigger corners off of him. I would say that. Him. Yeah, I mean, I I, I would um, agree with Calvin Ridley. We talked. It drops off, man. Darnell Mooney. Yeah, Darnell Mooney is honestly pretty good at like that's probably the one thing that Darnell Mooney does at like a decently high level. So like I know people want more than Darnell yeah. Mooney, but I'm just saying. Like, you bring them up. and so, But but this is what I'm talking about earlier with the with where Van Pelt's talking about with maximizing yeah. players. I'm not saying Darnell Mooney's your big addition. Right. Maybe you add a Calvin Ridley, right? Yeah, but Darnell you, Mooney is just like Pop Douglas with a little bit more size. But you, you add Darnell Mooney maybe, and I mean, PFF estimates him one year $9 million. It's right. easy. Yeah. You add Darnell Mooney, it's like your second or third wide receiver addition. And if you're, you know you're drafting Jane Daniels and you say – all right, we're, you know, he's going to play 50-something percent of the time, but we're going to just have him running a bunch of fades because yeah. that's a throw. Um, I kind of like Darnell Mooney. Like, Darnell Mooney um, reminds me of, like, a poor man's Tyler Lockett. There used to be like, one guy. Very good at, at, you know, vertical slot. Type. I don't know if he still comments and he just comments about other stuff because I don't remember what, like, his username was. But do you remember that guy? It was, like, around this time last year who used to comment on every one of our shows that Darnell Mooney was, like, oh, yeah, the yeah. hidden Tyree kill yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And was like, oh, if they get Darnell Mooney, they have a wide receiver one. So, shout out to that guy if he still listens. Uh, Gabe Davis? No. Out- outside vertical receiver, obviously. Not but, a fake guy. Yeah. Uh, Odell, I'm just going to, for other reasons, I'm going to pass on. Yeah. Um, Tyler Boyd. No. Curtis Samuel. No. Who I know you like, but actually, Steve and then I get to Kendrick Bort. How about the guys here? As fade receivers. Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of separation, Pop is obviously the best one. Yeah. Uh, he's definitely the guy that can do that. I, I mean, I, I've I've given up on Taekwon. I've hyped Taekwon enough and gotten burned by it, so I'm not going to expect anything out of Taekwon Thornton. But obviously, he, his body type, his speed, it, it, it's, it's not – 
in t- in terms of like what he does well he obviously has that in his bag of getting vertical that's the only thing he does well so like i, I mean there's that yeah um the other guys though you know not, not remember so he had much. his breakout game against the browns <laughs> his breakout game it's two uh, touchdowns but yeah okay so you, you have to go into the draft i'm looking at next year's class now oh, so many good fade runners in here no don't, nobody you want to feel old about next year you want to feel old I, wh- who moves in muhammad the third oh that's crazy yeah um I would say that, you know, I love Xavier Worthy. I have him ranked pretty high, uh, probably higher than most people. I think he's my wide receiver six in this draft um, behind, you know, the, the first, the top four, Thomas being the fourth guy, and, and Troy Franklin, who I'm probably maybe a little bit higher on than people too. Uh, I really like Xavier Worthy. I think that, you know, 34 is a spot that you probably could get Xavier Worthy. Now, is that – a little high if you take the quarterback and then receiver then tackles an issue you know who knows well again they're not gonna be able to have a perfect offseason right there's too much and and maybe maybe you attack maybe you keep on when you sign uh tyron smith and then yeah polk is a good shout too though like you know not not he's not as fast as xavier worthy is obviously in in a straight line yeah uh but he he definitely that's how he wins you know is is those types of routes we've talked about who's your comp for him again uh, Jaden Reed, in right? Green Bay. So yeah, who's yeah? He he's not as fast as Jaden Reed, but in terms but of the, the routes that he yeah. runs, yeah. I, I I just you bring up him, and we go back to talking about them wanting to land. We're us thinking that like Michael Penix is the guy they want to land. Also, now you have Tyler Hughes here. It's like yeah. people ask all the time, "Are you who are you pairing quarterbacks and receivers?" I didn't get a, that would be an interesting. I, I didn't one. get time to. I that, that I got to talk to Tyler Hughes at some point about the Washington guys. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's that's obvious. Like, it, it, that's a really good in, thing. And you know, Ty- Tyquan Underwood was just in college too. I know it was just at Pitt, but yeah. like it, he he was just in well, college. Pitt's had too. some good receivers. They oh had, yeah, I mean, uh, they, Jordan they, they had Jordan Addison. Yeah, yeah, he counts the Pitt guy because he sucked at USC. Yeah, and, and I think that Tyquan Underwood was there. Uh, for no, I missed him by a year. Did I think they him? were like technically there together for because I think hasn't Underwood been there for like three years? Hang on, I'm I'm, I'm pulling it up. I I because I said this the other day on the radio and I realized I didn't have the timeline exactly right. I think they were there together for like he was still working out at Pitt while he was in the transfer portal. Got it. And Underwood, yeah. So Underwood got to Pitt. Underwood was hired by Pitt in January of 2022. And Addison transferred to USC in May of 2022. I got it. Got it. So it's just a couple of months. But I there is a – I'm trying to find – there is a Jordan Addison quote somewhere about Tyquan Underwood. So cool thing about Tyquan Underwood real quick. So Tyquan Underwood, uh, Rutgers. Yeah. Rutgers guy. Was roommates at Rutgers with Devin McCourty. Yeah. And so that, that connection is when he was here in 2011 for a little bit. Uh, you know, Devin McCourty and Gerard Mayer were obviously really close. So that's how you get to the you know six degrees yeah. of separation that brought Taekwon Underwood back to New England. All right, let's get back to the phones here. Uh, we got a Trevor in Kansas City. What's up, Trevor? Trev, are you there? Yeah, gotcha. Sorry, it cut out for a second. All good. Um, hey, I've got two questions. I'll be fast and I'll take them off air. The first one you're probably not going to want to answer, Evan, but I'm curious <laughs> to know your guys' thoughts on Cody Schrader. And his fit in the Patriots offense. I'm from Kansas City, so I watch a lot of Mizzou football. Um, And then second, kind of talking about Michael Penix, it's funny you just brought him up. Um, He's my quarterback one if you take away the injuries. And honestly, I know you can't take him away, but I I don't know what I don't know. 
and I haven't heard any other reason we shouldn't take him at three besides injury. So I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that. I'll yeah. take it off the air. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the call, Trevor. Uh, so obviously no one's taking Michael Penix in the top ten because of the injuries. Even if right. he gets a clean bill of health at the combine, it's not happening. Just that 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 history makes it so tough. Yeah. Uh, in terms of his play, I think the biggest thing is is that in hindsight of the national championship game, one thing that I did was I went back and watched some other Penix games again because Which I would encourage people to do. I wanted to look and see was this just because Michigan's defense is just dominant and he was flustered by the pressure because he's playing Michigan's defense or was this an issue that was you know under the surface because he was so good at right. you know the rest of the way. I uh, I think that there are some legitimate concerns about how he handles pressure. Uh, I, That's his big knock. Yeah, yeah, is he's not great under pressure. Yeah, and when I I don't necessarily like some people fear like his his mobility i think that he can move around right i don't have concerns about that i think that decision making and especially accuracy under pressure is a concern he threw a bad pick under pressure against oregon yeah. too uh you know it just moving off his spot resetting and throwing down the field with the accuracy uh was a big knock uh for him and and he's only going to see more of that in the nfl uh we know how that goes around here if you can't right if you can't handle pressure and be poised under pressure in terms of your accuracy and decision making uh, that's tough in the nfl because these pass rushers are not going to let you off the hook yeah it, it, that's outside of the injuries the biggest knock on him I, every, everything you just said is that when he gets rushers in his face he gets a little sped up at yeah. times now he's good at not he's good at snapping out of it in that if he's pressured early e- even if the pressure some guys that they're pressured early even if the pressure comes up, up uh, stops late yeah. they still continue to act pressured because their their internal right. clocks off with Penix, it's very play-to-play. I don't think you ever really see it where, like, he'll get pressured early in a game, late in the game, the team will back off, and he just kind of goes back to being himself. Yeah. So that's encouraging. But the the, the pressure is a real concern. And yeah, if you draft him, I, I think off, they need offensive line one way or the other. I'm not saying they don't. They really. need to hammer they, offensively. Like, I'm talking about that's where it's you sign Tyron Smith, you sign Mike Onwenu, and you took a guy in the top 100. Yeah. Kind yeah. of kind of investment in the offense line. Cody Schrader, to the other point, I'm assuming a running back. Yeah, he's the running back from Missouri. I don't know how much Missouri you've... Well, you watched Javon Foster, so you must have been exposed to him a little bit. Probably. Um, Just didn't pay attention. Really interesting player. So he played four years at the D2 level and was kind of a backup. I think he sort of broke through. I, I can get his stats real quick. Yeah, he played four years at the D2 level, only one as a starter, Truman State, transferred to Missouri, had a solid year in 22, and then last year came back, was a team captain, unanimous All-American, ran for 1,600 yards, like highly, highly productive, uh, tough tackle. And he's not a big guy. He's 5'9", 214. He was, I have the number somewhere, he was like top 10, uh, according to PFF, in broken tackles. So I, ha- I have two, For a guy that size. I have two running back takes, and one of them I think is really going to surprise yeah. you. Uh, in the draft... Uh, Dylan Lobby and, and uh, Dewan Edwards from Georgia are my guys. I, I like both so those guys. So I, I like, and I, I, and I like the uh, is it um the kid from Baylor? Is it um, Baylor? No, not Baylor. I don't know. I'll think I'll think of it in a second. But those are those two guys on day three are my guys right now. Okay, uh, TCU, Monty Bailey. No, I'll think of it in a second. All right. Um, I, I the thing to me with Lobby and I like him as a player. I really like him as a player. I like Lobby. Does that role exist in Alex Van Pelt's offense? The spread back, well, like, as it's the, not. It's not so much that I don't. I see him as a guy that can play 
in like a sub package back role that's not just third down. Like okay. I, I think he can be like a true sub back. Okay. You know, more maybe uh, in like a Rex Burkhead type of way than like a James White type of All way. Right. And I think that that could exist, especially if they draft Jaden Daniels and they're more gun heavy and that's how they run their, they're going to need sort of that speed spread. You know, we're going to spread the field out and gash you down the hill. Like they're going to need the back that can get downhill like that. Like lobby can in a, in a hurry. Uh, Edwards, I was really impressed with Uh, Marshawn Lloyd from USC, you know, fight on. I mean, Uh, he's really good. He's going to end up being top 100. Yeah. He's awesome. Uh, Really good uh, running back. Are you thinking of Jalen Wright? No, in Tennessee. I'll, I'll I'll look it up in a second. Um, the the one thing that I I <laughs> this is bothering you, isn't it? It is. Um, you actually like a running back. I need to know who it is. Uh, who was it? I don't know. I don't know who I'm thinking of, and my my brain is broken right now. Was he at the Senior Bowl? I think so. Yeah. The, I I don't know where else I would have seen him. Uh, all right. I'll 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 look it up in a second. I promise. All right. Uh, really really quickly on the running backs. This is going to blow you away. Yeah, I'm kind of for of going after a running back in free agency. I kind of am too because this is a loaded free agency class at running back. Let's pull it up. Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs. Wait, 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 wait! I thought you meant like giving some guy one year three million. No, no, no! I'm serious about this. Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, Austin Eckler, DeAndre Swift. Those are the the top six. I think in free agency. Throw AJ Dillon in there too. Okay, they want to run the ball. They can't go into another year where they have two running backs. It's not. It's not right. feasible. And I think that there's a really good argument to be made that this this could be an old Belichick. And I know he's not here anymore, but maybe one thing that they do hold over a zig where everybody else is zagging. Like the, all these running backs are hitting free agency. Nobody wants to pay running backs, which tells me that someone is going to be cheap. On this, on the market, you want the projected contracts from PFF. I think the projected, I, you you can tell me, but the projected contracts I think are going to end up being too high. Barkley, three years, twelve per. Oh, Bucky Irving, that's who I was thinking. Of. Oh, Remember I like Bucky Irving. Yeah, uh, Oregon. Who, yeah, that's right. Green, Baylor, green and Oregon, gold. Yeah. whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I like Bucky. Ir- Bucky, he's kind of that. Come to me. More change of pace back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Why is he on this list? Um, sorry. Uh. Bucky Irving in the draft didn't. Why do I think he went back to school? Did he? I don't know. I saw him in a mock draft like a couple um, weeks ago. Oh no, he is in the draft. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. He's not on our big board. All right, true. Oh yeah. Oh, because his name's his real name's Marquise. That's why he's listed as Marquise Irving. There you go. He's projected top one hundred pick. How much do you like him? Not that much, but okay. I just like his play. I like. All right, no, I, I I like him too. I forgot that Bucky's not his real it, name. Um, but I think that there is a real chance that running backs. Especially some of the free agent. I'm, I'm blown away. This is I know because I think that there's a real chance that those guys are going to be extremely undervalued because all the nerds like me are telling you not to pay running backs. So I'm not saying to pay a guy ten million dollars a year, but let's say they we get to free agency and like Austin Eckler is available for like six million bucks, like I'm, Zeke was last year. Right. Uh, you know, I'm all for that. I think pairing. Uh, I would like ideally. To pair Ramondre Stevenson with like a thunder and lightning type like a of speed duo, back, yeah. So I look at it and what? I say Tony Pollard, Austin Eckler, like those. You look at type. what Cleveland had last year, Nick Chubb. Or the last few years, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, like they right. put together a true. All right, so Barkley three years, twelve per. Yeah, no. All right, twenty guaranteed. Hard. Um, Josh Jacobs projected three years, eleven per, nope. eleven and a half per. Nope. Out. Derrick Henry, two years, ten per. 
10 per year for 30 year old Derek 13 Henry. million guaranteed 20 total for oh, two god, years oh god no Oh, I would absolutely do that. No, that's thirteen way too million much money. guaranteed on a two-year contract. Way too much. That's money. like six and a half. No, what they pay Zeke? I I think it's a combination. But like I just said, like that's you have now. You just have two bulldozers. Like what? Like all right, fine. Uh, Pollard three years eight per. Yes. Eckler two six point seven per. Hundred percent yes. Swift really interests me because I just think he fits that style. Three years six point two per. I I love the idea, and I know that he had a down year last year. So I like gravitate a little bit more towards Tony Pollard because I think he's a little younger. Yeah. Um, Tony Pollard had a down year last year with Dallas as the as the workhorse. Like he was supposed to be the right. lead back. They moved on from Zeke, but the year before that, when he was like in a tandem with Zeke, he was the better back. Excellent. Yeah. And so I wonder if he's more of like a hundred, hundred and twenty-five touch guy versus a two hundred touch guy. Like, does that help him? And he just splits with Ramondre. I could see that. It's a thunder and lightning. I, I, look, I think they need to draft a running back because Ramondre's in a contract year, and you can't unless maybe they I'm sign saying, Saquon Barkley. I'm like, saying like, obviously you have Ramondre, give Tony Pollard like a two year deal, yeah, at a reasonable contract, and you draft a running back in the sixth round, you know, like to to, to round it out, like that sort of thing. Well, that would be uh, that's about where Cody Schrader's supposed to go, and he'd be a really good compliment for so, those. Two yeah, guys. yeah, just draft a younger guy. Maybe Kevin Harris is another guy that could be like the fourth back in that committee, right? Uh, and the third back would be somebody that you draft. I am surprised. Okay, I am all my whole take in free agency, and then I do want to get to the combine. We have some more calls to get to too. Uh, my whole take in free agency is that I want to pay talent. I I don't want to pay Nelson Aguilar and John Smith, right? I I want to just because those guys play positions of need that are bigger on your board. If running back is deep in free agency, and you have seventy five million dollars in free agency to spend, pay a running back. If all these defensive linemen and edge rushers that are going to be free agents that are studs. If some of the, a lot of these guys don't get tagged and they actually hit unrestricted free agency, go give a bag to Brian Burns, you know, go give a bag. To I mean, Christian now Wilkins. that idea I love go give, you know, wh- you know who I really gonna, want who Josh Allen. Yeah. The other Josh Allen, right? No, the, like the Josh Allen, the good one. Oh God. That's not fair. The one that's been uh, an all pro. Okay. Do you know who I really want? Who? Legereus need. I would back up the Brinks truck. If I could have Christian Gonzalez and Legereus Sneed for the next four to five years in the secondary, all for that. All right, since we're just randomly throwing out free agents at this point, which is fun. Yeah. Some, was it ESPN or, or PFF? Somebody put Christian Wilkins' name with I, lo- I love that fit, too. I, I mean, that you're, you're running a different defense now. Are you two-gapping with Christian Wilkins and Christian Barmore? No, no I think you could. I, but okay. I, I don't think that they're necessarily like pigeonholed to one thing, you know, like right. up the field players. Uh, but you know, last year in Fangio's system, he's playing gap and a half, which is similar to two gapping. All right. So it's possible. I, I, I think that Christian Wilkins, like that's, the, the, we're talking to, in free agency, I, I'd like talent grab, right? Like Christian Wilkins is a great player. Make, you know, you'll figure it out. Yeah. And, Local guy too. Christian Wilkins, uh, but if oh god, if they got if they got Snead and, and Christian Gonzalez uh, as their perimeter corners, that would, you're gonna say if they got Steed and Chris Jones, that would be absolutely terrifying. Like I don't know how, like you can play press man to man for four quarters with those two guys. Let me give you again. Well, we're throwing out names because obviously it didn't end here great for him, but it's a, a new coach and maybe to bridge that about gap. Steph Gilmore. He still played pretty well last he's year. All right. He's all right. He's he doesn't have. I'm like, not the, saying it like the same 
let's say that but he's fine you're not going to sign Legarius Sneed and Christian Wilkins like that's just too many assets on defense and why not what are you doing a tackle and why not it's, that's probably you're probably talking 30 35 million dollars yeah, but you, you know how contract structures work. That's true. Okay. I, I'm just saying, like, Stephon Gilmore is like a bridge corner. I've always liked the idea of Steph coming back here. Yeah, no, I, I don't and hate that. The other valuable part of that, just one year, get Steph in the classroom with Christian Gonzalez. Yeah, no, I, I don't hate that at all. I, I, I don't hate that at all if that's the route that they decide to go. I, I, just, I, don't, I don't love the offensive players in free agency. I'm going to be honest. I hate the tackles. I think all the tackles I, are I bad. hate the tackles, but I also think they've put themselves – in Trash. a position at that All position where they can't be picky. Okay, but the the problem is is that like so many of those guys don't even stay on the field. So like that that's my bigger concern. It's one thing if oh yeah if they were going to bring in a tackle because they just have to bring in a veteran tackle and yeah he's probably more like a C plus player than like a true blue chip tackle. You're not going to find the blue chip tackle in free agency. Most likely they don't come available. That's fine. So you're out on Tyron Smith as like a bridge guy. Uh, yeah, yes, and I also just don't see Tyron. Like, why at this point of Tyron Smith's career is he leaving Dallas? Money. They'd pay, they'd pay their players in Dallas. Though. I know, but aren't they trying to like reconfigure their line? Wasn't there something that like they're gonna try to move on from him? Uh, maybe. I. Th- he's probably the one guy that I, I would say. Okay, like you know, he's obviously an upgrade. He's thirty four. He's not forty. You no, know, you signed but- him like a two year deal. Heavy, heavily away the guaranteed money in the first year, and it just buys you a year of tackle essentially. Yeah, I mean, I, I also like Jonah Williams, like just as a player. I, I think that that's fine. You know, he he's a fine player, but like last year in free agency with tackles, you know, I would have been okay with overpaying a little bit for a uh, McGlinchey. Right. We talked about this all yeah. ad nauseum last year. I would have been over okay with Bogo. overpaying. Oh, the, bo- uh, Soto, sign one, draft one. I would have been okay with doing that. But this class in in the tackles in this class are not on that level. Like those guys all were like like I just said like C plus B minus players. Yeah. But they all stayed on the field and they played right. Like they were all right. you know that you could count on those guys. Uh, this this group like Mackay Becton, Jonah no, Williams. No, I, like, I would rather they not have to go to tackle for free agency. That obviously means you're using a top fifty pick in the draft on a tackle and bringing back Michael Nwenu. Yeah. The only two positions that excite me on offense and free agency, running back, which we talked about, and tight end. Yeah, tight end does excite me as well. Especially because you've got Austin Hooper and um, the other one who was in Cleveland. Was Harrison Mantel. Bryant. Harrison Bryant yeah. are there. I think we, we talked about Noah Fant making a lot of sense for them. Like I, th- I think they need to sign a tight end. You can't do the two rookie tight end thing again. That position historically is the slowest developing. Like, I, yeah, oh, rookie tight ends produce less than rookies at any other position. Doesn't mean tight ends aren't good. They just start producing later. So even if you're going to draft a tight end, I still think you need to sign somebody to pair with him, whether that is Fant or Bryant or Austin Hooper or a guy like Adam Troutman. I would be really surprised if Harrison Bryant isn't isn't a Patriot. Same. I just feel like watching their film last uh from last year with Cleveland they used him as as a pretty unique player in terms of the the uh, run game and you know he was blocking more as like a wing instead of like a true inline most of the time but they moved him around a bunch and he's athletic I think he's got some breakout potential like not like that he's gonna all of a sudden be a thousand yard receiver but well could I, he be what what Kendrick Bourne was to the 21 class yeah something like that we're like they signed Kendrick Bourne and we were all kind of like all right like he was in the mix with some other guys and you look back he was their best offense signing that I, I just look at the way that they use tight ends with AVP I love Hunter Henry I I think he's been a great Patriot you know one of the the clear 
you know, they, they hit on that signing when they signed him in free agency. But AVP likes more athletic and, and more explosive guys. You know, uh, Harrison Bryant certainly fits that category and, and his, you know, tier of player. He's not as good of a player as Hunter Henry. Uh, but, uh, you know, a guy uh, obviously like David Njoku is probably one of the most explosive tight ends in the league, right? Like, I right. think those are the types of guys that they gravitate towards. So I think Noah Fant's on the table. He's not the best blocker, uh, but in terms of getting up the field and getting vertical and creating big plays off of play action, he's certainly somebody that can do that for you. He's fast, explosive player. I think Gerald Everett, I mentioned a couple times, yeah. really like that fit for them because when they run bootlegs and stuff like that, he can be that guy that's the dump off in the flat on the slide or submarine route coming across the formation that you just throw him the ball in the flat and it can turn into a 15, 20 yard gain. It's funny because Gerald Everett, in my mind, it reminds me a lot of Johnny Smith, but they just didn't have the plan the first time around for Johnny, Johnny Smith. Smith. Meanwhile, would be like a great fit for this offense. They're going to run. Now. That's why I feel like Gerald Everett's a decent fit for it. You know, he's similar type of player. So I, I, I agree that in free agency, they should be able to get a tight end that is a starting caliber NFL tight yeah. end. And that will allow them to maybe not need it as desperately once we get to the draft. But I still think they should draft somebody just oh, yeah. to, to have that, that pipeline going. Yeah, all right. We got to get through these what calls. What about your guy, Donald Parham? Oh, is he a free agent? Uh, actually, no, I think he is. Oh, okay. Uh, Steve is in New Jersey. What's up, Steve? Hello? Hey, Steve. Hi, Dan. Um, so... I have uh, two questions, but one of them kind of a comment for Alex. Okay. But um, one of them is, so the comment I'll start with is, I think we should go with the white helmets for all the time. <laughs> I feel like the silver just doesn't even match the uniforms. I want you to go Madden tonight and tell me how they look for next week's show. Okay. And then the question is, what do you guys think of um, Tez Walker matching him up with Drake May if we draft him in the first round? Like, if we get Tez Walker in, like, the third round. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the call, Steve. Look, it, it's definitely there, right, the, yeah. the connection. I Tez Walker had an awful senior bowl awful. week. Yeah. And uh, I have a lot of hesitations about Tez Walker. I didn't, like, think that he popped watching Drake May film. I didn't necessarily notice him. And then at the senior bowl – uh, separation, uh, finishing through contact, hands obviously had a ton of drops that week at the Senior Bowl. It was a disaster for Tez Walker. Now, with that being said, is there a chance that Tez Walker is now available in like the fifth round and all of a sudden he's value? Uh, maybe. And, and, and that, I, that would be more intriguing to me. I think there's inherent value in Tez Walker becomes a better pick if you draft Drake May. Agree. If that makes we're like there's a level of comfort for both. Yeah. That should elevate both. Does that mean you race up the board? To get him, no. But like you said, like let's say you can get Tez Walker, I'd even say in the fourth round, and you have Drake May. It's like, all right, well, now Drake May is a familiar face to throw to. These guys already have some chemistry. It'll help him hit the ground rolling. It'll make things easier. And maybe that helps because it's all about player development, right? I'm not saying like, oh, you're burning a fourth round pick to make your quarterback comfortable. It's maybe it makes both players develop a little bit at a little bit higher level than they would otherwise big big week for tez walker next week because the one thing that he has is speed yeah uh, so when he runs in the 40 if he doesn't put down something in the low four fours then i don't know where he's gonna go in the draft after the senior bowl like it could it could be on day three after a guy that some people thought early on in the process was going to be like a second round pick uh so that's going to be interesting you know if he if he's like a four four eight guy in the senior bowl week then watch out like he could fall all the way down the board 
if he runs well, he might be able to save his stock a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see what he runs. Uh, Nick is in Omaha. What's up, Nick? Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Uh, my girlfriend got wind that I was calling in. She wanted to listen, so shout out to Riley. Hello. How's it going? <laughs> um which nice. sound kind of a side story. I was a little nervous to meet her family, and I, I show up, and her brother's got a Patriots hat on. So, hey, you know, that's, there you that's go. the stars aligning right there. Nice. <laughs> no, I uh, I called a couple weeks back um, for a, it was like a Madden question. You guys helped me out, so appreciate it on that. Uh, just a couple comments. One, Evan, I'm, I am actually very surprised you don't play Madden. No, I I used to. Evan hates fun. I no, I used to back in the day, but uh, you know, I grew up. You know, I just I don't have I don't have time for it anymore, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I I should probably stop playing, but I just figured the schemes and the contracts. No, don't stop playing. It's fun. Alley. Plus, we're getting to, we're getting the college game in a few few months. So true, true. Yeah, I, I just heard like three or four people mentioned Madden as they called in, so I was like, I gotta bring that up, but. Appreciate the help on that. I haven't made it to the Super Bowl yet, but I'll let you, I'll let you guys know. All right. um, my question is a little unorthodox, and but to be fair, my you guys got me down this train of thought, so I just kind of wanted to bring it to you guys. Is there any piece of you that is like thinking the combine is a little outdated? Is that is there any opinions there? Uh. Yeah, thanks for the call, Dick. Um, there's so there's so many Alex's single jokes in there that I'm just gonna let fly right by on on all these things. Uh, <laughs> go go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, 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 no. Uh, I I think the 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 combine being outdated. Uh, yes and no. I think that there's still a lot of value, certainly for teams. There's a ton of value in the interviews and the medical side of things. Like that's yeah. 90% of the combine at this point in terms of the actual event. But I still think that there's value in this is a, a timed 40 that everybody's on the same track, on the same watch, right? And like it's not necessarily judging game speed off the eyeball test. And I, I was talking to um, at the Senior Bowl, Macro and Cameron Williams did interviews yeah. with us. And I talked to Cameron Williams a little bit about this uh, because he had mentioned that at wide receiver that they they still think that there's value in the 40-yard dash and like seeing what how these guys test athletically because it's such an athletic position. And I asked him about in-game player tracking. And I was like, well, don't you guys have the, the zebra speed? So like what yeah. difference does it make? And he said that, that's that they do and they they obviously use that stuff but certain guys you know we're just talking about tez walker right like go ball receiver yeah certain guys are running 80 yards down the field and when they run 80 yards down the field they can build up speed to 21 miles an hour then you have like a pop douglas who maybe was running out of the slot the entire like he's running five yard routes he's not going to be able to hit that top speed as, as easily or as often so what the 40 yard dash allows you to do is to you know kind of take away the parameters of like oh this is an x receiver that plays on the outside that's a vertical guy those guys are obviously going to test really really well in the in-game tracking tracking data because they have the buildup to right. to get to those speeds uh so i think that that context is important with those types of things uh where you have to realize that not every player gets the opportunity to hit 21 miles an hour so what does everybody look on an even playing field in the 40 yard dash i think it still has some value in it and i think the the, the splits like you taught me yeah. this and it's very valuable that 10 yard split how explosive is a guy i also think and you can say this is unfair but this is just how the nfl works I think teams are interested in seeing what 
kind of shape guys show up for to the combine and what's their technique like on Definitely. the 40 because you just want to see it's it's what do people refer to it? it's like the most important job interview or whatever something like that right? there's pressure there's right? absolutely so pressure. how seriously you may not see the player prepare but you can tell in the outcome maybe how seriously they took their preparation yeah and i think that weighs in too if there's a guy you don't expect to run a certain speed or a certain time and he impresses you it's not just he's faster than you thought you then go and you talk to him about his preparation process and maybe you end up learning wow this guy he took this really seriously and his ability to study and pick up new things because training for the combine is not at all there's very little football application to it yeah so it's all right this guy took something he hadn't done in the past and was able to pick it up quickly that's valuable like i remember i go back to uh, cole strange told us this after his rookie year that we asked him about you know his first true nfl offseason and he said the one thing he was looking forward to was getting was actually working on football because his rookie offseason he spent so much with training for the combine right that there wasn't a ton of football involved yeah so i think just learning how guys approach it and then obviously there's the whole thing about the original purpose of the 40 which the first nope, the don't, first don't do it the first comment on the show in the chat today was asking if i was going to tell the story so i won't it, but. it only took us almost two hours into the show for alex to finally tell us about the 40 why did they run the 40 evan uh, to cover punts That's or something right. like that right uh so i will not stop until everybody on the planet knows that the last thing and look i i'll fully admit i'm pumped uh, about the combine next week i'm I, it's my favorite thing to like of the year probably i love the combine i i'm a sucker for it all right so i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna say the combine still still matters for those reasons but i also like you your point about how well they trained for it and, and how well they prepared for it when you get to the on-field drill portion and a receiver is going through the gauntlet or the quarterback's throwing or whatever there's a lot of there's natural pressure that's created in those situations everybody's eyes are on you all 32 teams are staring at you you're on national tv like there is a lot of pressure in that and how people handle that environment is important i think a lot of the things that receivers do in these are important uh, as well like you can really see especially you know when we get to it next week when they run the gauntlet like you can really see who is a natural hands catcher like who's really right. able to well not... that's actual football application. yeah and that's that, different th- and that's but... important yeah uh you know how, who's not fighting the ball who's smooth with it who you know drops are obviously like those are things that matter uh, a lot because you you know guys that can transition and run and then catch the ball on the run and not slow down and not lose speed like that's such an important skill for the receiver yeah, position the, uh not just receivers the combine last year remember we were trying to sort out the top of the cornerback board yeah and combine last year was when christian gonzalez became one one for me yeah for exactly what you just said going through some of the like full field drills yeah and just the effortless change of direction yeah. it just it jumped out where you're like this is legit yeah so those those hold more meaning than tests the tests don't hold a ton of meaning to me Unless it's like an extreme result in one way or the other, yeah. But the the full field drill certainly. The test is just confirming your priors or not, right? Right. Like, is this guy fast or is he not fast? If I mentioned Tez Walker, I think he's a great example for this. If Tez Walker runs a four three eight, then you can sit there and say, okay, you know, the vertical ability on film it matches up to the forty. That's good. If Tez Walker runs a four five, then you can sit there and say. Uh, you know bad senior bowl four or five like maybe we you know we right. missed something with this guy so i do think it, it, there is some application to it and i'm always going to stand for the combine because i i love it i mean it's yeah great. it's good it's the underwear right. olympics all right uh mark is in connecticut what's up mark 
Hey, guys. You guys actually kind of stole my thunder there. Um, I was thinking for pre-agent running back, I'm actually going with D. Swift. I think that yep. if you pair him up with Ramondre, like you guys are saying, you got that thunder and lightning action going on there. And then also the uh, Harrison Bryant. I, I remember watching him back in college, and then I wanted him back when we took the two dopes that aren't even in the NFL <laughs> anymore at tight end. You know, I, I just, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, Harrison Bryant makes a lot of sense for New England, especially when he works with Alex Van Pelt. So uh, that those are my uh takes on that and you know i wouldn't mind pollard but i really think Keith swift would be a electric electric player for them yeah uh thanks for the call mark good call yeah i, I agree first with, of all don keen is still in the league he's on a futures contract with the texans so he's barely in the league he's in the league he has it's a, a futures contract <laughs> like he's he'll be in the league in march may, he might be on a practice squad yeah I'm, uh, just, I'm just joking around. Um, you were a big Bryant guy I, in that Mackey draft. Award I winner. That. Like, your best tight end in, in college football. Out of Florida football. Atlantic, which to get noticed at Florida, he's an unanimous All-American. Again, yep. Florida Atlantic, that's not easy. Very decorated <laughs> That's not a program player. that's – I mean, you got to dig in the channel guide to find the Florida Atlantic games. And, and I think you know a pretty good athlete, if I remember correctly, and uh, had a really good senior bowl week. Uh, obviously, you want his combine numbers? Uh, yeah, give me his combine. Did he, he didn't test uh, – Four, so measured it at six four two forty three. Yeah, that, that part concerns me a little bit. That's fine. He's not very big. Okay, keep going. Six five six five. Okay, six, uh, uh, four seven three forty. Oh really? Yeah, one oh, six geez. two one six two in the first split. I don't know, I don't know why I thought he was seven four than that. one three cone. Yeah, no. thirty two and a half vertical, nine foot broad, thirteen he, reps. But on he the bench. like he plays. I wouldn't say he plays fast. Um, but he plays like fluidly, you know, like he, you can tell that he's like a, he's got good body control and he's a decent athlete. Are you thinking of Adam Troutman in terms of the speed? Maybe. Yeah. Oh uh, no. Troutman ran a four eight. Uh, uh yeah. I Cause you like so. Troutman too. I think I did like Troutman. I, I liked everybody besides the two guys that they drafted. Yeah. Um, I was all Cole Komet that year. I was the only guy I wanted. Yeah. He's a good player. Uh, so you were right about that one. Uh, yeah. In, in general, though, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Swift, you know, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I know that shocks you. I, I know it's not. I love usually it. Me. I love it. I'm kind of write it. Write it. Put it on back. the website. I, want I did. I wrote evidence. It, I wrote it in the mailbag. But that, oh, did you? Okay. I kind of buried it in the mailbag. No, 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 no. Uh, I want uh, uh, headline. It. Lazar wants to pay running backs. Uh, okay. All right. All right. Uh, Dimitri is in Braintree. What's up, Dimitri? Hey, what's up, guys? Hey. Uh, I was just kind of thinking about the certain pick that we're going to have, and I'm kind of, like, scared to death about Drake May. I don't know about you guys, uh, but I kind of feel like we're going to end up with him in some way. Uh, I just don't see the commanders going with, uh, like, another UNC quarterback back-to-back drafts, like, after drafting Sam Howell. I mean, I, I just kind of feel like we're going to end up with him. I would personally trade out a three if that was the, the, the last one. Why, why, what don't you like about him, Dimitri? I, I don't know. It's just like, I, it's going to sound dumb, but I keep seeing like AI pictures of him in patch uniforms and it scares the hell out of me. Uh, but like, I don't know. His UNC, like uh, the, the lack of like pass catches around him, it just doesn't feel good. Okay. All right. Um, so uh, thanks for the call. I think that this is something and not to like pick on Dimitri or whatever, but like th- this, this like comparison that's out there uh, to Mitch Trubisky. Yeah. Keep talking. I'm going to find something. Keep talking. It, the, the, you're scouting the helmet, and that's fine. Like if you, if that bothers you, like Dimitri, and like you just can't get over the fact that he's a North Carolina quarterback, and you know Trubisky, Howell, like not exactly the best pedigree there in terms of quarterbacks. I, I get it, but I'm just telling you that 
Drake May and Mitch Trubisky are totally different prospects. Like they, they're just play totally different styles. Uh, they have totally different strengths and weaknesses. Like Trubisky made like 15 starts in college, like the whole time, you know, like uh, Drake May is a multi-year starter. Uh, they are just couldn't be more different. Trubisky was a good, strong athlete with a good arm that was in like a one read RPO style offense at the time at UNC that was extremely raw that had very few starts in college football. It's just totally different. I'm going to give you uh, a list of quarterbacks from the modern era from a certain school. You tell me if the school's good at producing quarterbacks. Okay. Joe Barnes. Yep. Tommy Dunvine. Oh, God. Ron Reeves. Billy Joe Tolliver. Who are these people? I'm going to give this away in a second. Cliff Kingsbury. B.J. Simmons. Any good NFL quarterbacks on there? No. So if we're sitting here in 2017 and you're saying, I don't want a guy from that school. They never turn out quarterbacks. Yeah. That's Texas Tech. You're passing on Patrick Holmes. So the point, like, I, I get it. Like, the UNC quarterbacks have been fluky. And I'll, look, I'll be honest. The first thought I had when I saw Drake May, especially because he's from North Carolina. Yeah. And there's that whole pipeline of North Carolina go, guys going to UNC. I'm like, right, here we go again. Different, different. And, yeah. like, Sam Howe, Drake May was a five-star recruit. Drake May was originally committed to Alabama. I, that's something that I feel like we should we should like hammer home with him if they do draft him. Well, a lot of people use that as negative. Why? They say he was scared of Alabama. No, I think that he just wanted to stay home. He was not like Sam Howell was not a five star. Like he wasn't. He might have been a five star. But he wasn't the level of recruit. I, I, that I just Drake blame, May was. I just blame the Bears for this because like it's their fault that they drafted Mitch Trubisky way too high. And yeah. you, I could have told you at the time they drafted him way too. All of us could have. Like I'm not saying that I'm like some special savant because of that. Right. Like everybody knew they drafted him too high. If you if you want to be down on Drake May and you want to like Daniel Jones is such a better comp in terms of like just play style experience in college football, the type of offense that they were running. Drake May, and I know not a lot of people I feel like realize this, uh, Drake May is, is playing in an air raid at UNC. He plays in an air raid offense. And yeah, it's um, – I'm blanking on the coach's name. There's a lot more, like, you know, full field progression. Mitch, Trubi- Brown. Mitch Trubisky was an RPO quarterback at UNC. That's that's the offense that they ran. Uh, Drake May is 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 reading the full field. Like he's he's doing NFL quarterback stuff. He's not playing in that type of system. Um, I, that that comp bothered me. Like if you're gonna say that he's gonna stink, then like compare him to like Daniel Jones. Like at least compare him to somebody that that has a it's similar a thing pedigree. Where, like, yeah, quarterbacks just don't have a a good. The schools don't have a good quarterback until they do. There's just not that many good quarterbacks. I mean, Alabama didn't have a good quarterback for, like, Well, some people record. argue they still don't, but. I, I mean, I, w- I would. I would, but. Tua so, and Jalen Hurts, I think, are, are, are good so, enough. So, look, this isn't going to sound like much of a difference. As somebody who follows recruiting, I promise you this is a big difference. Uh, Mitch Trubisky. Uh, and recruiting tables get it wrong all the time. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. was the 21st ranked wide receiver recruit in his class, if you can believe that. Yeah, I can, actually. But it. Really? Yeah, I think that his game has has developed in terms of like, All right. you know, twenty first. He wasn't even a top one hundred prospect. I don't think that he a top one hundred recruit. I could see that because he's not like blazing fast. All right, fair enough. But here here's my point. Like when you talk about the background and where they started from, the foundation. Yeah, Mitch Trubisky was a four star recruit. He was seventy ninth ranked player in his class. Sam Howell was a four star recruit. He was one hundred fourth. Drake May was a five star recruit. He was twenty fourth. He was the fourth quarterback in a class that also included Quinn Ewers and Caleb Williams. Sam Heward ended up being like a major bust. But two guys who were viewed as generational. Yeah. So this is, 
Drake May is starting from a different point than those other two guys were. There's more raw ability there. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a long way to go. I think he needs to be coached quite a bit. But Sam Howell was never, to your point, Mitchell Trubisky was never that kind of prospect. He no. never was. The Bears just saw, it's like Zach Wilson. They just yeah. saw something that wasn't there. He was big, tall, and athletic. Sam Howell's a fourth-round pick. I don't know why we're acting like... Remember after the Patriots played the Commanders and everybody was trying to tell me tell us that Sam Howell was like this great quarterback because he led the league in passing, which doesn't mean anything. The corpse of Ben Roethlisberger led the league in passing one of those last years in Pittsburgh where he could barely move. It just means you're uh, trailing in a lot of games late and you're just throwing the ball down the field. Drake May does not comp as a Mitchell Trubisky. If you want to compare Mitchell Trubisky and Sam Howell, you can do that. The only thing that you're doing when you compare Drake May to Mitch Trubisky is saying that they both went to UNC. That's it. That's it. Right. And that's, that's and, not yeah, how Trubisky's it works. not actually not even from North Carolina. He's from Ohio. Okay, uh, but we got to wrap. Yeah. So um, just really quickly, is there anybody from the Combine? We, we didn't talk as much, as much about the Combine as I wanted to, but is there anybody from the Combine that you're really looking at player-wise? I mean, it's it's Michael Panix, man. How yeah. can it not be? Like, where is he at health-wise? And I want to see Joe Milton throw the ball. <laughs> just yeah. do the 85. He said, he said he's going to try to throw the ball 120 yards at the Combine. So. Oh, God. All right. My my list, yeah. Obviously, Penix is high up yeah. on there. Uh, I mentioned all the things about the receivers. Like, I think that's going to be yeah. important watching those guys. This is my favorite thing about the combine. Yeah. Not no no. Are kick. you going to talk about the shrimp? Nope. Okay. But <laughs> that is good. <laughs> Arm length for the offensive uh, yeah. tackles. This is important, folks. Who's the guy? This, this is year? important. Who's the guy that's that's close? In terms of the threshold, like lower yeah. end of the threshold. Remember last year with Skaronsky, we, we kind of knew Jordan going Morgan. In. Jordan, Jordan, did he measure at the? He did, bowl? but you know, I need to. I want confirmation. He, yeah. at, the, at the Senior Bowl, he was like thirty-two and a half, which most teams. So it used to be thirty-four. Yeah, now it's thirty-three. Then, then right? Joe Thomas happened, so now it's now it's thirty-three. <laughs> right, so thirty-three is really the threshold nowadays. But I, I think that arm length in range at the tackle position in the type of scheme that AVP likes to run is going to matter a little bit more than it maybe did on in the downhill. Yeah, 32 and seven eighths. Okay. So, so that's like really, that's to me, that's, that's close. So enough. his arms grew in the last, I, I wouldn't be surprised because some of these guys go to like doctors to get that. That's like, true. Didn't, yeah. didn't Kenny Pickett do something yeah, where he was like stretching hands. his hand? Yeah. I have bigger hands than Kenny Pickett, by the way. That's sad. Uh, I'm telling you, arm length is going to matter. Uh, is he just like sleeping in bed, holding so weights in each arm? Jordan like? Morgan's the uh, one big one, and uh, Fought now from Washington's the other big one. He's he's somebody that uh, that that Fatanu. Yeah, did I say did I say it wrong? You said like Fought now. I don't know. Troy Fatanu. Troy Fatanu. Okay. Uh, his measure, his arms. I think most people are projecting to be in the 32s instead of the okay. 33s. So so guard. Uh, th- those are factors. I don't necessarily subscribe to it because Dante Scarnecchia didn't necessarily subscribe to it, and I, 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 you know, I'm not doubting that guy. I, yeah, exactly. But I think a lot of offensive line coaches and a lot of yeah. scouts still do. If you're below that threshold, like Jordan Morgan at 32 and seven eighths, one eighth is not going to make the difference. But that's a shorter arm tackle. That's but just it's the way also. It is. Is he that much of a standout that you're willing to overlook it? Like, if the guy is 32-inch arms, but he's on tape just unbelievable, yeah. you may overlook it. Morgan didn't have a great week, I thought, in Mobile. 
No, I think Morgan, and we don't have a ton of time. So Morgan, uh, he's one of those guys that like hugs people with his hands. Well, that's not good if you have short arms. Uh, instead of like getting into the yeah. chest. Like I hate watching tackles that uh, your guy Patrick Paul had this going on a little bit too, but I think it, it can be corrected. Yeah. But the point is, is just when you go like this and like you're, you're not getting that inside hand placement consistently, it's really difficult in the NFL because guys, guys will just get into your chest and they will push you back into the quarterback. Like that's how you get bull rushes when you give up your chest. So you can't give up your chest. So I, I think that that's going to be a thing for Jordan Morgan that he's going to have to fix. But yeah, uh, measurables for all these tackles is going to matter. Like n- nothing yeah. that happens on the field in, in terms of the tackles matters. Like I don't care what any tackle runs in the 40 yard dash. Uh, but in terms of, uh, yeah, ar- we're, we're done with length, Jordan Davis. That was the only time I ever cared. Arm length, big deal for, for the tackles. Oh, actually I'll give you one I'm interested in. Tavondre Sweat didn't measure in at the yeah, at the yeah. Senior Bowl. I, well, he he doesn't want to weigh. I, he's going to be like 380 pounds. I know. I want to see how big he is. No, but he's he doesn't like, want to weigh in. But he carries it. He's athletic. Yeah, he's somebody that you know. Depending on how free agency goes, uh, because they moved on from Lawrence Guy, like you know, they, I, you got to take Tavondre Sweat in the top 50. Yeah, he's going to be high pick. Uh, last thing, uh, really quickly. I think hand size for quarterbacks is going to matter as well. Yeah, because well, we already got a couple. I, I, I know I made fun of you a couple weeks ago about the whole run game thing when it yeah. comes to New England, but throwing the ball in New England and handling the football in New England with small hands is not going to be easy. So like that that that's going to matter. Like, do you remember I'm, before how we said we thought the Patriots all everything they said yesterday kind of fit one guy? Yeah. You know who had the biggest hands in the Senior Bowl? Oh, Penix, didn't he? Well, he was tied with Joe Milton, but yes. Yeah. And yeah, b- 10 and 3 eighths, like big Ma- hands. Massive hands. Yeah. Uh, massive hands, you know you know what that means. No, look at uh, him hold the football, though. It looks weird. Yeah. No, I, his hands I, are it's so gonna, big. Like, if you have a guy that has small hands, I, 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 it's genuinely a concern about it working out in New England with small hands. Not a, not a joke. All right, uh, that's going to do it for us here on Catch-22. Uh, we'll be back next week. I'm not, I think we're in the afternoon because of the combine schedule, but I'll be in Indianapolis, Al. We'll be here to host the show. I'm hosting again. And we'll uh, we'll talk Combine fully next week, all Combine, hopefully. And uh, stay tuned uh, for Patriots Unfiltered. That's coming up here in a few minutes. Bye. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.